What's up? I think we are live. Mike will double check for me just to make sure I didn't mess anything up like usual. But uh, thanks, guys, so much for being with me. I really, really appreciate it. Everybody who showed up. This is uh, this is truly an awesome turnout. And I, I figured right before the... Oh, wait, somebody's trying to jump in. Mel's trying to jump in. Uh, right before the election and stuff, people would be motivated. They'd be upset. There'd be a lot to talk about. So I'm, I'm very excited to have everybody together. Some new people... Like I said uh, before we start recording, feel free to kind of let people know who you are before you uh, get into you know whatever you want to share with the people. And uh, and I guess you know today, like like I said before we start recording, also we always seem to be very lucky to get a couple special guests every episode and some regulars. So it's a nice uh, it's nice to mix it up. Today we have a very special guest. We have some new people. Some all, not to take anything away from any of the other new people, but I think everybody would agree that having Mr. Griffin with us today is is truly a special. Um, Mr. <laughs> Griffin, yay! And uh, for so, thank you, Mr. Griffin, for being with us. I, I'd like to start with you because you're one of the people. If we can extract some wisdom from you, you you've been doing. OG. You're yeah, you're OG. You've been doing this for a long time. You've seen a lot of patterns. You've seen a lot of what's happened throughout the years. Um, let's, if you don't mind, maybe opening up with just maybe what your take is on what the hell is going on in the world, because I think a lot of people are, uh, you know, kind of having a lot of theories, a little different perspectives and philosophies but nobody's really sure you know is there awakening is this all negative is is there a global reset consciously or whatnot should we um should we be positive and can we fight back well those are always a good good questions i guess it depends on uh, <clears throat> what time of the day you run across the question and what your mood happens to be what you had for lunch and all those things because i think all of those possibilities that you mentioned are true. Uh, this is a very, these are very, very serious times. They're very scary times. Uh, they're also very uh, wonderful times because of some reasons we might talk about, but mainly because it gives us a chance to make a difference. Um, what to do about it is always a factor. One of the problems is that we, we're always looking for some kind of hope. You know, if we could just have some kind of hope, it seems as though Sometimes people are more interested in hope than they are in real solutions. They'd rather have an easy hope than a hard solution. And then there's always a difference of opinion that enters into these things. And I'm looking at this screen full of these bright faces here. Every I recognize it, quite a few of you, you guys, and you all have strong opinions, I know. And I'll, I'll bet my bottom dollar you don't agree with each other on everything. That would be sad if you did. It would be so monotonous. But uh, anyway, so all of those go into the background for how do you answer a question like this? What do I think is going on in the world? And what do you make of it? So um, I guess I'll, I'll say what probably has been said many times in the last few weeks by other commentators. And that is that we're coming to a crossroads. Things that have been underway 
for a long, long time. Uh, strategies, plans, goals, conspiracies have been being played out for as long as I've been on this planet and before. And uh, they're coming to a head. It seems all of a sudden, I never thought I would see everything come to a head in my lifetime. Mm. And uh, it looks like it just might. Uh, and so is that good or bad? I, I kind of think it's good because it means that I don't miss anything important, you know? <laughs> I'd, hate, I'd hate to walk out the door, be carried out the door, wondering how it all turned out. I remember years ago, I heard some, I think it was an old lady. She was an old lady to me then. I think she was in her 80s even. <laughs> and uh, he was on television and somebody said, well, what's the good thing about growing old? And she said, I'll never forget it. She said, well, you get to find out how it all turns out. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good thing because, you know, when you're younger, you don't know how it's going to turn out, your family and your friends, what's going to happen to them, what's going to happen to the political situation, what's going to happen to the economy, all of these things. Well, you get to find out pretty much if you live long enough. But then you sober up and you say, well, because it never turns out because there's always a new, there's always a new game after the one you're playing is over. So I'm kind of skirting your question because I don't know how to answer what's going on in the world except everything. And I do agree that things are coming to a head right now. And the actions that we take in probably the next, uh, certainly the next year, maybe the next few days for that matter, those actions could be pivotal in determining really long range consequences. So that is, um, it's a tremendous opportunity and it's a challenge to all of us who we think at least that we know what's going on in the world. So it, it means that we really have to be alert and uh, stand up. And the question has come up often. In fact, today I, I was scouting some news stories and it came up three times. People asked the question, well, aren't you afraid? Aren't you, aren't you scared? You know, aren't you, aren't you worried? Aren't you afraid? And um, different, question, different answers came up. But in my own mind, I was thinking, how can you answer that question? And I decided that you have, to dis you have to make a, di a difference in your mind between being scared and being afraid. Now, I haven't looked those words up in the dictionary to get the nuances, but I suppose that there are enough meanings to those definitions in the common dictionary that they overlap quite a bit. So they mean pretty much whatever you want them to mean. But in my, in my context of this discussion, I would like to make a distinction between the two. I think it'd be crazy not to be scared if scared means that you have some adrenaline pumping through your blood that you realize that the consequences are really big right now and you've got to be alert. I mean, you're, you're alert. It, it's like a, a fright and a flight sort of a syndrome. You, you, you're scared. I mean, you're, 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 that doesn't mean you're running away from the battle. However, you can be scared, have the Dickens scared out of you, but that's different from being afraid. In my context here, I would say that by comparison to being scared or being alert to the, to danger, there's this, this feeling of being afraid to the point where you're overwhelmed to the point where you become paralyzed and you, you either do nothing or you try and run away from the battle and hide. So it's possible to have the common sense feeling of, of being very alert and being worried and being concerned and having adrenaline pumping through your, your veins. And, but that's not the same as being afraid to the point that you don't stand up and do what you know you have to do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm scared about what's going to happen in the future, but that doesn't mean I'm afraid. And I, I hope everybody in this group, and we'd like, I have to reach out to more people around the world that can make that distinction in their minds 
It's sort of like going into battle. Fortunately, I've never had to go into battle where I had a gun in my hand and had to kill somebody or else be killed by them. I suppose I could have done it if I had to. I was in the military, but fortunately, I didn't get that assignment. But it must be, you know, a, a very horrible thing. You're scared to death that you're going to get killed. But yet you do it because you have to. It's your, it's your duty. It's your obligation to your country. You're fighting for principles. Now, there's another issue there. You may be in a war in which the principles are not what you thought. But anyway, in your mind and in the minds of the soldiers out there, they're fighting for principles. And they don't, may not realize that they're really fighting for politicians but, or, or large corporations. But in their minds, they're fighting for something very sacred. They're fighting for their families, for their country, for their traditions, their culture, for their future of freedom. So when you have those kind of goals in your mind, you can be, you could be scared, all right. You better be because you better be alert. Somebody's out to get you. But that doesn't mean you're afraid and you run away from the contest. So I guess that's, I'd like to just stop with that because maybe that's an opening concept that people might want to run with. We can come back to it later. That's how I would like to start the discussion with the difference between scared and being afraid. Can I ask you, uh, Mr. Griffin, what your thoughts are on the next few days? In other words, no matter what happens in this election, a lot of people like myself are predicting chaos. Is there a scenario where things start to get better after the election? And if there is not that scenario, what do you think is our best case scenario and why? Tough question. Um, I, I'm, um, I'm not very popular among uh, our supporters when I talk about this election because I, I don't really I really don't I really don't think that the electorate is having much of a choice I think that what is going to happen has been planned to happen a long long time ago and by that I mean that the master plan of those who want to enslave us to launch the great reset to feudalism they know that the end game for them to make that happen and to make the public accept it without resistance, especially in the American public, which is quite well armed. American people are still pretty well armed and they haven't been able to get rid of our weapons. And so that's a concern to them. How do they get the American people to accept their slavery without feeling that they have to go to the streets with their weapons in their hands? And so they know that their end game is chaos. To do that, they have to frighten and scare, but frighten the American people into wanting security. And so riots are a necessary part of their plan. They must have them. They must have fires, firestorms. They must have diseases. They must have terrorism. They must have the threat of climate change. They must have all of these horrible, horrible things happening to us so that people are filled with that fear I was talking about a moment ago. And they're paralyzed. They don't know what to do. They're not going to take to action. They, especially in order to bring about the, uh, this thing rapidly, they need, they need martial law. They've wanted martial law for a long, long time. And so what they're trying to do, I believe, is to create the condition under which martial law is asked for by the American people, asked for by the true patriots, that is demanded by conservative people, patriotic people, good-minded people. Uh, 
because they're so horrified by what they see on the left. They see the firestorms. They see the hatred. They see the, the concentration camps coming. They see all these things. They, they see all of that on television. And they're scared to death. They're, they're filled with fear. And you might have noticed that no one in government at any level has made any serious step to quell any of that. They stand back because they want it. They want it to build. They want, they want race war. They want all kinds of, of war. They want divisions among Americans at all levels, not just race, but religion and, and ethnic origin and all everything, especially class. How much money do you have? What political party are you in? They want conflict. They don't want anybody coming together in unity. They want everybody fighting everybody else. And they want blood in the streets. And right. they they've done nothing to quell that. Now, that's an interesting fact to hold in mind. They, they stand down for that. Right. I want to jump in because what you're saying, I actually saw a quote from Kissinger where he said during the LA riots that had they ushered in the UN um, as the alternative to the police, America would have risen up and fought them back. But the goal, Kissinger said, was to be begging uh, for the American people begging for the UN to come in and save us. Yeah, that's right now. Right now, it seems like what they're trying to set up from what you're saying and, and the truth is that we will cede our sovereignty and our safety to the UN, which is the, their goal. Uh, and, you know, what you're saying right now is basically what Kissinger said during the L.A. riots was right now, if, if, if you know, it was ceded to the UN peacekeepers, America would rise up. But I think right now the goal is to have America beg for the UN to come in. Yes, I don't think they'll beg, beg for the UN. They'll just beg for some kind of martial law. But I certainly agree that ultimately the UN will be the chosen vehicle because it, when it starts getting ugly and American boys in uniform are asked to start killing uh, American citizens, uh, they're not. Most of them are not going to want to do it. So that's where you got to bring in people from other countries who have no such, uh, you know, feeling of affection for their own fellow countrymen. But my point is, and I'll try and make this short now, is that I believe that this has always, for the last few decades, has been the end game that they want is, is martial law. So it seems that uh, you know, if Mr. Biden was elected, there would be no riots. I can't imagine any. Uh, any conservatives out there rioting uh, against um, Biden, no matter how much they hated him. The only way they're going to get martial law is to have a landslide for um, Mr. Trump. And then they'll say it was a stolen election. They've already told us what the scenario is, because that is the plan. They want Mr. Trump in the office so they can have the riot, so they can have the end plan. And that's so they make all these good Americans who own firearms beg for martial law. And that's the way they plan to close it down without having to deal with the firearms. I have a question. Why is it that the other, um, to Mr. Griffin, why are other countries um, much worse? Like in Canada, I, I have reports that the UN is already marching in. And also just like to say that in the global reset, Klaus says from here on out, it will no longer be before Christ and after Christ. It will be before Corona and after Corona. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know why some countries would be more advanced in this master plan than others, unless it's the same reason that some states in the United States are more advanced than others. 
probably depends on the development of this collectivist uh, cabal in each country. Uh, not every country has such great concentration of, of, of what really are undercover agents that are, have been underground sort of in sleeper cells posing as Democrats or Republicans or some other political party in some other country. Um, they, they're perfectly capable of taking on any label that, ever, that whatever they think people will um, vote for. But when underneath, they're probably, uh, you know, they have no affinity to any particular political party. They just want to come to power so that when they're given the, the signal, then they will do exactly what, what they're doing now. And that's the, the only reason they were in the game to begin with is to bring about this great reset to feudalism. So I guess some countries moved faster in that direction, just like some states, like where I come from in California. It's incredible how much the, uh, the state government is totally infested with people like this. And I imagine other countries have a more or less gauge on that as well. Well, I just want to say that, you know, I'm just one dude with a podcast. But if UN troops set foot on U.S. soil... Sounds like a great day to die, in my humble opinion. And uh, there's a reason we, I, I mean, you know, and if I'm the only one, then so be it, dude. Go down a blaze of glory, but not on my watch. And, you know, maybe I'm just the fodder that gets fed to the machine and it is what it is, but I ain't going to have that. And I'd rather go out. But, well, there are a lot of people like you with that attitude. But um, that doesn't mean that that's, you know, the ideal way to stop this juggernaut because they have weapons that are beyond the imagination of most of us. I have had inkling to some of these, these electronic weapons, uh, uh, laser beam weapons and so forth. They can deal with very large, very large crowds from one truck with a big antenna. They can just basically cook everybody from the inside out. And uh, there's, we have no weapons that can challenge that. So if we're going to solve this problem, it's not with weapons. It's got to be with the weapon of the mind. We have to, we have to turn these people around. We, you know, I remember back in the day in the 60s and the 70s when I was ramping up for all of this, uh, there was a lot of a quotation going on from different communists. Khrushchev was one of them that everybody quoted. He said, uh, uh, we will bury you. He was talking to the United States. And along with that quote, there was something to the effect that uh, – while you are talking about fighting communism, we are capturing your children. And of course, that's exactly what was happening at the universities and then later in the high schools as well. They captured our children and now our children are the mayors and the governors and, uh, and the senators and the congressmen. They captured them, but not as communists. They captured them as collectivists. They captured them in the mind of all the principles of communism without giving it that name. And uh, so now I'm, I'm, kind of pleased with the idea that we're at a point where we might be able to say back to these people, okay, you've got it right now, but we're getting your children. Their children, the young kids are coming over to our side in droves. They're realizing what the future is holding out for them. And some of these kids come from families that are in the, in the elite and they're breaking rank with their own families. I know a couple of them. And uh, they're realizing that, oh, my gosh, everything is at stake. And I think it's possible. It's going to be really interesting to see if this whole thing doesn't recycle around to the point where that perhaps in the next generation or maybe sooner than that, a lot of the kids of these uh, super elites are going to wind up um, coming over, so, so to speak, to the, to the light side. I'd like to see that happen. 
Um, I just wanted to say what you're saying about the. Sorry, nobody. Attorney uh, Hancock. No, I wanted to say that I'm I, sorry. I. There's something about the um, remote schooling, like having kids learn from computers and all of that. That is what you're saying. Like, we can't allow uh, big tech to educate our children. And, and that's kind of part of what's going on with this Corona thing. And I found a lot of evidence that um, Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation and all these people are the ones that are doing the online curriculum. And uh, what you're saying about the children is really important because they're going after our kids without us really seeing it. So what you're saying about educating the children is right now with the COVID, they've had the opportunity to um, actually put all 90% of children in this world, K through 12 right now are learning online, but who's controlling the online learning? It's not the parents or the educators, it's big tech. So, you know, we're kind of like, what do you think about that? I mean, they, they've kind of monopolized um, education for our kids and, and nobody really has a say. So, you know, I, I, I agree. Well, I, I think what's happening is that it's, it, it hasn't changed in principle because most of the schools, not all, but certainly most of the schools in the, in the larger uh, metropolitan areas, to be sure, have been indoctrinating our kids for a long, long time. So now it's switched over to the electronic media and it's coming right into the homes. But the, in, in principle, it hasn't changed. But I think it's a wonderful opportunity to recognize the value of homeschooling. Homeschooling, by the way, is, is uh, exploding right now. Now, we know that the establishment is going to come against homeschooling even harder now for that very reason, because they don't want that to happen. But nevertheless, you cannot stop a parent from teaching their kids at home. Uh, you just can't stop it. Well, I shouldn't say you can't. <laughs> you can come to the door and knock it down, drag, drag the people out and put them in trucks. But uh, other than that, uh, if parents really want to, uh, to take control of their kids' education, this is a wonderful opportunity and a good excuse to do it. Well, Hitler had a, had a quote, and it was, he alone who owns a youth gains a future. And actually, Kingsley Edwards, who's down here right now, got kicked off of Facebook for posting that eight years ago. And they went back four days ago and not kicked off Facebook, but they banned him for, uh, from posting for 24 hours for, a, for that quote from eight years ago, just a couple days ago. And I, I also want to let people know, last I couldn't join the one last time because I actually drove across country to go to the Red Pill Expo that Mr. Griffin was hosted. There was over 600 people there, a bunch of great speakers, uh, Dr. Andrew Kaufman, Robert Kiyosaki, Del Bigtree, Mickey Wills, who was the uh, the guy who uh, made the pandemic documentary, Alex Newman, George Gannon, just a ton of others. And I've gone to a lot of conferences and this one, I, I actually listened to probably most of the speakers who were up there. And a lot of times I don't because I feel like I know a lot of it. But this time I, I actually got a lot out of that conference. He did it on short notice. And the fact that you had I mean, would you say there's probably about 600 people there, sir, who were at the conference? And it was, it was highly attended and uh, it, was, it was a great time. So, so people can probably still get that at redpillexpo.org, can they? Uh, yes, and we're in the, in the process now. In fact, you can still sign up for a replay. It's going to go through at least the end of November. We'll probably open it up through December, too, because we had some technical delays and problems. So, uh, yeah, for, you can see the whole thing uh, by signing up for the replay. And by the way, you don't even have to do that because when all of these individual programs are edited and all cleaned up so that all the, the non-important information is removed from them, all the delays and so forth, uh, they're going into the, uh, the Red Pill University archives. 
And at that point, they're open to the world, to the public at no charge. I mean, if you just want to wait a couple of months, it'll all be available. That's our policy. We we ask for donations to help us get this in this this great wealth of information together into the archives. Uh, but then after it's there, it's free to the world. We don't want anybody to have to say, well, oh, I can't see these good programs because I can't afford it. Or a lot of people don't want to spend the money till they know what they're getting. So anyway, we put everything up free. So I guess what I'm trying to say in the simple version is that, yes, the whole Red Pill Expo probably by December somewhere is going to be on the Red Pill University website and anybody can go and see every bit of it. If uh, you Mr. want Griffin, to have it I ask you, you can see it now. Could I ask yeah. you just quickly about um, the manufactured consent of technocracy? Because obviously a lot of people are talking about the forced vaccinations and a lot of people believe that we will be um, seeing forced vaccinations soon. I would disagree in the sense that it would probably be voluntary, but via like social contracts or, or not social contract, uh, social credit. So like Chinese style social credit, if you um, don't get the vaccine, you won't be able to get a bank account. Um, you can't go to public places. You can't travel on planes. Basically, they're going to eradicate travel, make travel just for the most wealthy once again, and make it impossible for people to get around without being vaccinated. And it'll be connected to kind of like a technocratic cashless system. You've been talking about this for many years. And of course, you've done work with people like Patrick Wood, who wrote books on technocracy years and years ago. I wanted to ask about your thoughts on navigating a technocratic system based on social credit, where they're going to be telling you, if you don't get vaccinated, you can't do anything. You're basically going to be forced into your home and unable to actually feed your family. Well, that's kind of like uh, standing in front of a of a brick wall, isn't it? I mean, where do you go from there if, um, if in fact, they are able to cut off your complete social inter and economic interaction in the world? And they do that through money. Uh, that's why the cashless society and the cryptocurrencies are so important to these people. They want to have us not having cash in our in our pockets or under our pillows or in the mattress or anything like that. They want us to be, to be able to... Uh, or not be able to acquire anything unless it's done through an electronic transfer system and it goes through a, a big building where they've got switches that they can turn on and off for all of us. So that's the ultimate control, how you survive without having access to any kinds of commercial or social interaction that costs money is the, is the question. Some people say, well, they're going to have to build local communities and, and that kind of thing. It might be possible, but I I, I have a feeling that Eventually, these people are not going to allow that to happen either. They, they don't want any kind of private property to exist. And you couldn't have a, a community uh, without private property, at least belonging to the community, <laughs> but not to the government. So um, I think that realistically, and I hate to say this, but I, I think realistically, the only hope we really have to prevent this kind of absolute slavery is to stop it from happening. We've got to prevent this from coming to be. We can't just wait and see how we're going to deal with it. We've got to stop it. And that's where we have to face our fears again and decide, okay, are we going to just sit here and wait and see what happens? Or are we going to be proactive and figure out that we have to take the counterattack and try and dismantle this thing? Does that involve illegal means? It probably does because I think uh, the, the definition of legal, uh, strictly speaking, is, is, is there a law? Uh, relating to it. Well, these people are passing laws by the minute. They'll pass any law they wish. So practically everything we want to do will be declared to be illegal. So I guess the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Any of the, the new uh, guests want to chime in? I know we got... I, I, I want to ask a question. Yeah, Tony, I just wanted to say something. Can you guys hear me? Loud and clear. Can you Go hear me? Yes. Go for it. Go there, for it. There you go. Thank you. Uh, Edward, you know, um, I'm of the opinion that a lot of this is like shipped around a thousand guys paid for by they, them, those to give the impression that these things are happening. Even if you live in Portland or Seattle or something, you go on. Yeah, that's a couple of blocks over there. It's all post me, a manufacturer of all I got. Then they want to uh, amp it up a little bit and they'll go into the subs and drink somebody's beer and do it. I mean, it seems such a night comes and goes and there will be, you know, televised consternation. I guarantee it. They'll, they'll, they'll make it happen if they have to. But, you know, on the whole, in the general, is American, are Americans really in jeopardy? I mean, certainly in the rural areas, we've been traveling a lot around rural America, and they're not masked up. I mean, they just don't care. You know, it seems like it's it's a manufactured fear that's being done, and I'm, I think Americans are less and less going to buy it, but that doesn't mean they don't have to contend with whatever their propaganda they're putting on the television. You know, what do you think, G. Edward? How much of this is manufactured? I think 99.9999% is manufactured. That's why I like to call it the uh, the theater, especially the the pandemic theater, and and even even the uh, the racial issues and the riots and the street, the social justice warriors. I think everybody by now, at least at some level, is aware that these people that are really th- setting fires and breaking windows. Look, they all dress alike, right? Pretty much, they all got black hoods on. They all got the black boots, and. Uh, they carry these backpacks and I mean, they're, they're in uniform and they're very well trained. They work together. You, you know that this is a group and they start thinking about that. These are not just college kids or these aren't people who are disgruntled because they lost their job um, and so forth. They're not just college uh, teachers and intellectuals who are upset with the system. These are trained revolutionaries or trained uh, destroyers. They're soldiers. Let's call right. them what they are. They're soldiers well, or they're, they're mercenaries and, and they're bust around. Saying, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what you're saying is very bizarre because if you put the map of the opportunity zones that Trump in, put in with uh, Ben Carson and a bunch of people, they're burning down the opportunity zones. Why, why are all the riots in the opportunity zones? And then as soon as they burn them down and everything, then the banks are buying up the opportunity zones and getting no tax, nothing. And I mean, there's something really crazy about where they are choosing to riot. Um, Can I jump in on that? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So over at the Solari report, Catherine Austin Fitz did a a brief little glimpse at what you're talking about, the areas where they're, where they're jumping on to riot. And it was something like, 34 out of the 36 different areas that were most hard hit had local branches of the Fed in it. So those kind of overlaps are very much a part of what's going on. Well, that's an issue of are they destroying property so that some some group can pick it up at pennies on the dollar, uh, which was a highly suspected issue there in, in uh, Katrina. Um, anyway, that's another issue. But the, the, the primary issue is, is it real 
or is it theatrical? And I think it's theatrical. And I, I would imagine that all of the players all together, that these people who are causing all these riots and the destruction and throwing of the rocks, the shooting, the burning, all of these things, put them all together. I would guess that there's probably not more than a couple of thousand of them in the whole United States, maybe at the maximum I don't know, 5,000, let's say, which is a very small number, especially when you got the kind of money that George Soros has to fund local organizations. They give these people paychecks. They, they give them cars. Uh, they buy them their food. They travel them around. They make them feel like they're big shots. And they, they're just told what to do. So does that represent America? And of course, no, it doesn't. But the Americans now, especially when they're locked in, they don't see the world except through their television sets and their computer screens. To them, that's the total window. And it reminds me of, you know, if you're living in a, in a town and you're hearing the radio, that the weather report is that it's raining like crazy outside and you look out the window and the sun is shining. And you say, well, gee, I, I guess it really is raining after all. <laughs> Even though you can see the sun is shining because you heard on television this is how it's working, folks. The people hear and they see these images of the burning fires and the shouting and the screaming. And that's all they see. And they see these pictures of people in hospital wards with masks on. And that's all they see. They don't realize that that window is only about 14 inches wide. It doesn't cover the whole United States at all. Uh, the only analogy I can think of is when you go to the airport and you go through uh, all of these screening services, through the x-ray machines, and the lineup, and expose your baggage and everything. Do you think there are any terrorists out there? How many terrorists have been really uh, caught through all of this? Billions of dollars and hundreds of millions of man hours. And why is it there? Because they want to impress in the brain the concept that terrorism is everywhere. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing this. Terrorism is not everywhere. COVID is not everywhere. All of these things that we're told to fear are not everywhere, but we think it is because we see it through the little window called the television or the computer screen. So that's my answer to your question. Uh, yeah, I wanted Mr. to Griffin, add- Mr. Griffin, you've been following- Sorry, you've been following censorship over the years for, for many years. I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about these big tech oligarchs and then go to uh, Zach Voorhees, who obviously is uh, suing uh, YouTube right now or in a part of this lawsuit uh, that I think is very important. Um, we have been witnessing Orwellian doublespeak on full scale lately. I mean, for example, the Hunter Biden story comes out and while it's not like the biggest story in the world to me, it makes me more interested in it when I see every single mainstream media saying it's debunked when it literally isn't and there's all the evidence on full scale. Um, you have Antifa, which they're a bunch of fascists and they're calling everyone else fascists. You have this doublespeak scenario. And now at the same time as this, you have these big tech oligarchs that are taking down basically any opposition to the mainstream viewpoint. Like it, there's a, a monopoly on information over at Google and they've effectively been able to shut down most of our voices. Uh, I was deleted off of YouTube on October 15th with 155,000 subscribers, no strikes, nothing. And they're just basically saying, you don't get to speak anymore. You're not allowed to talk anymore. And they're manufacturing this whole thing. I wanted to hear your thoughts on the censorship that we're witnessing today. And then I'd also like to hear uh, Mr. Voorhees uh, talk on this because obviously um, being a whistleblower in this scenario, I think it's really important to talk about this. Well, my comment on censorship, I think, is, is pretty mundane. I think everybody has the same idea. It's, it's a horrible thing. Even those who are uh, 
you know, the classic liberals on the, the left, not the revolutionary crazies, but the people who think that, well, we, you know, we, we really should take care of the poor and we're going to use government resources to do that. That kind of, of a leftist or liberal, even they think this is a horrible thing because they understand the importance of freedom of speech. Um, so everybody understands that that's a bad thing except the crazies. And I think that it's partly um, one of the things that is being used to whip us up and, and to say, well, we've got to, you know, we've got to do something drastic without asking too many questions as to what it is we're going to do. Uh, but that's another issue. Uh, so I, I don't, what's my reaction to it? All right. My reaction is it's a good thing uh, because it forces us to deal with it now rather than later be, until it's total. Right now it's not total. There, we're finding out that there are options. There are places to go. And even the mainstream, even my neighbors understand that there's, there's censorship going on. I mean, everybody knows that things are being censored now. And if we were ever going to build a, a free platform or a, a free avenue of expression outside of these big tech oligarchs, this would be the time to do it. Maybe next year will be too late. So I think it's a good thing that we're being forced to face reality now while we still have some options rather than live in that dream world and continue to depend upon our enemies to carry our story for us. So I'm glad it's happening. Yeah, Zach, if you want to fill us in on what... Uh Tim was talking about, or whoever uh, brought it up. Sorry if I mess, messed up. I think it was Josh. Uh, but yeah, if you want to fill us in on that lawsuit. And then afterwards, if some of the new guests, Dan, Brian, uh, who else? Richard, it's, uh, whoever else that uh, you know hasn't been on before. Jen. Sorry, there's a lot of people on here. I'm having a hard time keeping up with everybody. Ties, Tease, whoever else wants to go. Uh, Mr. Edwards, I know we want to talk. We want to get the float. We'll, we'll definitely going to have to, because this is kind of related to what we're, we're, we're kind of expanding on. So we'll, so please, people, after uh, Zach uh, talks, feel free to, you know, don't be gun shy. Jump in. Because if not, then uh, the rest of us East Coast talkative people are going to jump in. <laughs> um, thank you. Yes. And Edward Griffin, I want to just say that uh, I listened to your interview with Yuri Besmanoff. Uh, probably about 20 times while I was at YouTube and it was really foundational uh, and it really, you know, really changed the course of my understanding of reality. And so I just want to thank you first off for bringing that to light. It was really important uh, for me. Uh, I want to sort of answer your question by saying that we're coming to an end of an era and we're and it's being punctuated by the, a change in technology. And the last time that we can sort of find a repeatable event like this was the invention of the Gutenberg printing press. And what's happening is that fundamentally our social cohesion methods are breaking down. Um, the uh, last 250 years has been punctuated by a top-down bureaucracy where there was a broadcast model of decision-making and sense-making that happened at the core, and then it moved down towards the edges. And what was interesting about this system is that it didn't really allow a lot of feedback. Like, you know, you could write a letter to the editor, but, you know, you, you could scream at your television as much as you want, and it really didn't make any difference. Now that that entire thing is changing and you as an individual can go and contradict these elites that are on Twitter with social media and call them liars and point out that they're not factually um, accurate and, you know, give links to what the real story is. And this is, you know, turning the system upside down. And another thing that's 
sort of destroying the system right now is the is basically um, a different form of a panopticon, which is the fact that we've got this whole like mobile production unit sitting in our hand uh, that's able to take HD video and essentially what it's doing is it's placing uh, eyes everywhere on the planet. And what you have to really realize about this system of control that's been put into place is that it's essentially a cryptocracy. It's a rule by these oligarchs and they have to exist in the, in the shadow where they can't be seen and people can't see what their plans are. And then once the plans get unleashed, it's too late to do anything. You see this in the, you know, the, the, the Tonkin, right? Like they go out there and they get us into Vietnam war. And it turns out that by the time we learn that the whole thing is a false flag operation to get us into this war that benefits Lyndon B. Johnson's uh, war profiteering, it's too late. We're already, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives uh, invested into this war. And now the truth will, you know, destabilize society. That can't happen like it used to, because the thing is, is that the truth is so absolutely viral. And as a result, this, this elite group of people operating behind the shadows, what they're finding is that the shadows are shrinking and they can't hide in that shadow anymore. And so uh, what's happening is that these two sort of interplays are coming together and we've, we've basically had an explosion of conspiracy theories. And essentially what that conspiracy theories is, is first off, it's very engaging. And so the algorithms that show you what content that you should see is all based upon what people are clicking on. And if people are clicking on these conspiracy theories more than they're, you know, clicking on the fake news, then the algorithm is going to select for that and put it in front of you. And in a way, what we can see is a, a sort of an AI awakening where the uh, algorithms are connecting the nodes, which are the individual people themselves. And so, you know, when we write about this history, what we may say is, well, the AI woke up and the first thing it did is it showed us that all of our elites were absolutely corrupt. And I've struggled with sort of Edward Griffin's um, theory that the whole thing is contrived and both sides are controlled. And my, my devil's advocate, my counterbalance to that is the fact that what's happening is that their control mechanisms, mechanisms are, are being exposed. If this entire thing was completely planned, would we be discovering this, uh, you know, Jeffrey Epstein blackmail operation that has been in control of our society uh, for the last uh, five decades? And uh, I, my, my personal opinion, and I may be wrong, is that that no, we wouldn't we wouldn't be discovering this contrived stuff. That really, what's happening is that we're seeing a collapse of the system. And as this breakup of the United States, um, uh, and I don't mean like within the United States yet, I mean the military control over the entire world is breaking apart as we retreat from it and we go from a, uh, a unilateral world controlled by the petrodollar to a multipolar world you know, controlled by regional currencies. We've been seeing that for like decades. And as all this stuff happens and all this stuff starts flying apart and technology starts eating all the different sectors of the economy, um, what's happening is that uh, censorship is, is basically the fallback that the elites are trying to do to maintain control of the system because the system is becoming rapidly destabilized. 
And whether that has been planned or not, I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm still trying to look for answers and I don't, I, I'm, I'm not an oracle by any means, but you know, when you want to know why censorship is, is in place right now, it's, it's literally because we're seeing the disintegration of our entire political structure due to the algorithms going crazy and sending us all the conspiracy stuff and realizing that, oh my God, the news is fake. And so is history. And once we start realizing that the history's fake and the news is fake, then there really isn't anything, like it's the most destructive thing you can have to an individual where they realize that everything that they've based their cultural toolkit on to interact with society is essentially just a social construct by the ruling elites. And I can only imagine what's, what's gonna happen in the next four years as we come to the realization that we were being manipulated and uh, we reassert uh, control uh, in the, the new system, the new phase that we're, we're, we're going into. So that's why I think that we have censorship. I think in some ways the censorship may, may add stability in the, in the near future. Uh, we, can't, <clears throat> we can't be allowed to know everything that's happening with this planet too quickly or uh, we may devolve into some sort of um, religious warfare. So, Br Brian, I know you have to go, so uh, I want to expand on what Zach said, but before uh, we do that, I'd like to kind of get your comments and just let people know what you're doing and, and some of your work real quick before you leave. And you're on mute, Brian. Brian, you're on mute. <laughs> I just realized that. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, this is an awesome discussion. I hate to interrupt the flow here. Um, but we had some pretty big news here in, in Connecticut. So one of my organizations, the Connecticut Freedom Alliance, I have two of them, uh, along with my partner, Don, Don Jolly, uh, We the Patriots USA is our national organization. We also have an organization here in Connecticut called the Connecticut Freedom Alliance. We filed a lawsuit against the state of Connecticut Department of Education seeking to strike down their mandate that all children be wearing masks in school because, as I'm sure everybody on this call agrees, uh, masks are extremely harmful, not only uh, physically harmful to children and adults for that matter, uh, but also psychologically and emotionally harmful. And it's and we know what this is for, right? This is all part of the plan uh, to set us up for the COVID-19 vaccine mandate because everybody's so desperate to get back to a sense of normalcy that they, they're going to take anything they can to rip off their mask and roll up their sleeves. So what we did is we filed this lawsuit. We had some spectacular experts. Um, our first two experts we, we presented, uh, you mentioned Dr. Uh, Andy Kaufman. He was one of our expert witnesses along with Dr. Uh, James Meehan. Uh, we had presented both of them. Both were disqualified by the court. We were given a second bite at the apple and we presented Dr. Mark McDonald, who is one of the frontline docs from the White Coat Summit, as well as uh, Newt Wachowski. I'm sure many of you know Newt Wachowski as well and some of the uh, great information he's been sharing about the ineffectiveness of masks and the need for herd immunity. That's his opinion. Uh, they were phenomenal. Uh, Mark McDonald just completely, we had a full day hearing on Friday. Uh, Mark McDonald talked about, you know, he's a child psychiatrist, so he talked about children he was seeing in his practice that were being irreparably harmed, seriously harmed uh, from having to wear these masks for extended periods of time. Uh, and he's got a lot of practice experience. Uh, incredibly, he was disqualified uh, because some of his other views uh, with regard to mask uh, 
uh, wearing of, uh, and with regard to oxygen deprivation, apparently uh, they did not consider him as a medical doctor. The court did not consider him qualified to talk about things like oxygen deprivation. And because he spoke on matters other than child psychiatry, uh, he was disqualified. Uh, which I didn't quite understand uh, the the throwing the baby out with the bathwater approach. Just so you all know, I'm uh, again I'm Brian Festa from Connecticut Freedom Alliance and We the Patriots USA. I'm also a civil rights attorney. Um, I was not lead counsel. We retained actually two Republican legislators in our state to represent us, who are also attorneys, obviously, to represent us in this case. And they did a, f- a phenomenal job, but um, unfortunately, we're up against it. You know, the the concluding, I'll just read from you the conclusion of the decision that came out today, which denied our motion for a, an emergency injunction, stated, a year ago, you could have stopped anyone on the street and they would have told you that masks, gloves, hand washing, and distance are all ways to reduce the spread of disease. The court could have taken judicial notice of it without even hearing evidence. That is a far cry from what is in front of the court now, a claim that mask wearing is so dangerous to children that it must be stopped at once because it is, quote, a recipe for medical disaster, end quote. That claim in front of the court has not been proved. There is no emergency danger to children from wearing masks in schools. Indeed, there is very little evidence of harm at all and a wide-ranging medical consensus that it is safe. Therefore, there is no reason for the court to rule immediately on the claim that the department exceeded its authority over mask wearing in the schools. That legal claim will have to take its place among the ordinary proceedings before the court. The alliance's motion for an emergency injunction is denied. Now, you notice they say a, a, the medical consensus is that masks are safe, but nowhere in this decision does it say that that consensus is based on any actual science. And that's what I found very, very interesting here because we presented almost a thousand pages of exhibits showing that masks were not only ineffective, but were unsafe. The state didn't produce one study showing that masks were safe, not one. And they were allowed to skate by without presenting any evidence. We feel we have a very, very strong basis for appeal. I know we're dealing, you know, we're in a very deep blue state and where the odds are against us, but we feel that there, for several reasons, uh, we have a very strong basis for appeal here. So um, if anyone uh, can help us with um, getting the word out as far as fundraising or uh, if, if you feel moved to donate yourselves, um, you know, we have a, a website, ctfreedomalliance.org, where you can find the, the button to donate as well as our GoGet funding platform, which um, I have to thank a couple, Larry Cook and Toby Rogers, I'm sure some of you know them, uh, turned me on to that platform because they, do, they actually don't censor. And they don't steal your money and hold your money hostage like GoFundMe does uh, very often. So go getfunding.com forward slash CT mask lawsuit. You can find it there as well. Um, like I said, right now, that's where we are because, you know, we're a relatively small organization and don't have uh, deep pockets. And really, sometimes winning in the judicial system uh, is more about, you know, how big your bank account is um, than necessarily whether you have uh, always um, the, the most persuasive arguments. Um, you know, yeah, because on the front lines like you, I think that's why, you know, a lot of us are familiar with your work and we love what you're doing because a lot of us are talking about it. You're actually out there doing the work and, and you're, you know, you're actually raising funds. You're, you're actually suing the, the government. And, uh, and I think we really appreciate the fact that there's organizations like yours that are, are actually, you know, doing the blue collar work, you know, and getting your hands dirty. Well, thank you. You know, I really appreciate the opportunity, Ricky. I didn't, I, I wanted to spend more time talking about the conversation. I didn't come on here just to promote the lawsuit, but um, I'm glad you gave gave me the opportunity to talk about it. And listen, you know, I mean, we 
I'm an attorney. I believe in the judicial uh, system. You know, some of you on here maybe don't agree with that, maybe think that uh, I'm naive. But if I didn't believe in the process, um, I wouldn't be an attorney. I'd leave the profession. Um, so I still believe uh, that we can win this on appeal, but we're, it's going to take a lot of hard work, a lot of hours and a lot of, uh, of dollars. And, and when I said a moment ago that, you know, it comes down to how much money you have, it's because it's expensive. You know, it's not that, you know, the, the court doesn't charge anything, you know, except the, the filing fees, which are nominal, but it's, it's expensive to have lawyers to represent you is what I mean. Um, and, and that's the only way you're going to have a realistic chance of winning in my opinion. So, um, anyway, uh, thank you for having me on all of you. You know, I, those, a lot of you, I don't know. Some of you, I do, uh, Mr. Griffin, thank you, uh, so much for, uh, giving us some of your valuable insight as to what's happening right now and, and, uh, what's about to happen. I think all of us are kind of on the edge of our seats waiting, uh, for tomorrow. Um, I don't think there's going to be any one. Uh, person that's going to save us from this. I think we all have to band together and that's what you're trying to facilitate here, Ricky. So, so I appreciate it. Yeah, we're definitely all, all in this together and it's nice to see all these support. But Obviously I want to jump in for one second. Thank you a lot, Brian. Um, I want you to know, like it matters. My sister is a psychiatrist. She's been working for the government for the last uh, 10 months, uh, evaluating children on the border who are separated from their parents. The, the, the 500 so children they're talking about on the border were trafficked. They have no parents. They are psychologically and psychiatrically unwell. They cannot be placed. These aren't children separated from their parents. They are children getting the best psychiatric care and, and, and kindness and, and, you know, and people like you matter because they have no advocates and the left is is out there spewing that they're separated children from their parents that is a lie the children left on the border have no parents they were trafficked they were sex trafficked my sister has to go on every day with a translator and figure out how to help these children and they don't want to place them with random people so it's only people like you filing lawsuits that are are ever going to get the truth out they're acting like they're separating children at the border the 500 children that are stuck at the border are so much luckier than the two million children in america right now that are homeless they are getting the best psychiatric care they are getting a 24 7 uh, like help these kids were trafficked or sold so when the left comes in and spews that there are children on the border no my sister is one of the child psychiatrists that are sanctioned by the government to go on and speak to these children who were raped multiple times on their thousand mile walk from Guatemala. So what you're doing matters and every lawsuit matters because the lies that they are telling and selling are bullshit. And if Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the losses do matter. I, I'm really glad to have heard, uh, heard what Brian is doing. I've uh, witnessed this recently in uh, Vancouver. Somebody introduced a motion to try to pass a, a, a law that would mandate mandatory masks for all city workers in Vancouver. We're talking over 7,000 people. And uh, we took it to City Hall. Uh, you know, uh, it, was, uh, it was a bizarre Zoom meeting, <laughs> but uh, uh, people wrote, raised their voices and they ended up defeating it. Uh, they, they shut down the motion. They, they squashed the bill. 
and they said, no, we're just going to strongly recommend masks moving forward. So it is possible uh, to to win uh, these battles in these incremental pushes towards all these all out tyranny. We have to battle these things incrementally. Now, I just wanted to touch a little bit on, on the censorship front because I've been dealing with this a great deal uh, lately, and uh, we've been talking a lot about the, the, the technocracy side, the, the Silicon Valley side, the AI side of this, but there's also something else going on that's very interesting. Um, in, in case people don't know who I am, I'm Dan Dix, I run Press for Truth. I've recently had my uh, YouTube channel terminated, 272,000 subscribers. I've had just recently been suspended from my Twitter account with over 20,000 followers. They just terminated my MailChimp account. I'm banned from GoFundMe. And what I've discovered over the past few weeks is that this coordinated attack is not just coming from the tech conglomerates who have decided to just silence me here. It is a little bit of, it, of that, but it's also literally some butthurt SJWs who are working hand-in-hand -hand with the government to do these things. So what I've found out is there's a group like, for example, Anti-Hate at antihate.ca who has just received a grant from the government for $270,000 to fight so-called hate groups. And uh, they, have, they are the ones who are going on the attack, contacting the companies that I deal with, saying, hey, uh, we think this guy is a, a racist white supremacist and he's violating your terms of service. You you need to look into this and have him shut down. And some of these people kowtow uh, to this and, uh, and, and uh, shut me down. Um, so I just wanted to bring that to the table and let you know there is this aspect of Silicon Valley working uh, to, to silence voices like ours, um, but it's being done in tandem uh, with 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 the minions, uh, so to speak, who are carrying it out, like those at antihate.ca. So, I mean, <laughs> moving forward, uh, we're it's going to be really challenging to uh, to to fight this censorship when we're going up against a behemoth like this, where the government can uh, fund organizations like that to take down so-called hate hate groups. Which is why I'm focusing these days on things like Float.app and and BitChute and Minds and all these alternative platforms that are more decentralized and are not going to censor people moving forward. So I just wanted to let you guys know it's coming from the tech side in a big way, but it's also just a lot of these SJW minions who are actually butthurt about what we have to say and they're actively trying to silence us. It's just crazy. Well, can I ask you real well, quick? Wait, Mel, I want I want to uh, if you don't. My, just because I, I want to uh, get. I just want to know how much it hurt him to to wake up one day and see that all your work was gone. I mean, it 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 sucks uh, in that instance. But just like G. Edward Griffin has been saying, and he said to me once when he gave me an award at the Red Pill Expo, it was quite shocking. And he says, "You're being censored, but sometimes when certain doors are being closed." Um, you now realize that, oh, there are other doors and there's other, uh, other opportunities and you start opening other doors that you may not have looked into before and you find out there's a whole other world on the other side. So honestly, it was a blessing in disguise, Mel. Uh, it, screw YouTube, screw Google. Uh, I don't want to be uh, uh, you know, re relying on them whatsoever anymore anyways. So uh, uh, thanks for the question. It truly was a blessing in disguise and I'm happy to promote these other guys now instead. Yeah, let's get to uh, Kingsley. That was a great transition, and I'm not referring to the butt hurt comment. I'm referring to the flow comment. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, for, uh, supporting us, Dan, uh, and hi to, uh, to all of you. I know some of you here and appreciate, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to join you guys here. So I'm, uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm the CEO and founder of floats. We are a uh, censorship resistant social network that launched last year. Um, you know, my background just real quick. I was a Ron Paul activist back in, you know, 2008, 2012, uh, cryptocurrency entrepreneur since 2013. And so I've been, um, you know, really building products and services in the in the crypto space for a while now. And now we're utilizing these uh, these new decentralized technologies for social media. I mean, when you think about social media and how it's, you know, it's supposed to really create this kind of peer to peer connection where all of us can kind of broadcast our message out there, communicate with each other. And cryptocurrency is kind of the financial side, which a lot of people are also getting censored on, whether it's banking, whether it's PayPal, whether it's whatever. So, you know, I, I took a step back from politics back when I found out. So I relooked into Bitcoin and kind of, you know, took that deep dive and, and fell in love. And I realized that, you know, cryptocurrency, I really truly believe is, is, the, is the, you know, fastest and best, best path forward for a more peaceful and, and prosperous uh, society worldwide. And now with Floats, uh, you know, our newest venture that, again, we started just, just last year. So we're, we're kind of the, the newer, uh, you know, the newer platform to the, to the scene. I know, uh, you know, library has been around, I think since, uh, 2016 mines has been around since 2013. So we have, a, we have a smaller community, but we are growing fast and we are, you know, taking advantage of, uh, you know, what, what, what is going on here, not just, you know, taking advantage from a business opportunity, which it, it really, you know, it seems like there's going to be a huge business opportunity here, um, for us and these other platforms, because there's this kind of splintering outs of all these people either getting censored or just sick of all the censorship or all the bullshit happening, whether it's spying. I mean, they read your private messages, all this kind of stuff. So we're looking at all these all these things that people hate, and you know, I personally uh, hate about these big tech platforms. And we're figuring out ways where we can use encrypted technology, decentralized technology, uh, cryptocurrency as far as uh, uh, payment mechanisms to help content creators like uh, like uh, like you know all of you here to uh, to monetize your contents where you know you're not going to be at risk of of getting thrown off or, or losing all your followers or losing you know I know you know Josh uh, we have a pretty good relationship with Josh and uh, you know that was that was one of the main things like we were building actually a. Uh, uh, private, like a Monero wallet, which is like a private cryptocurrency wallet. And Josh ended up, you know, kind of getting demonetized from, from YouTube. And I know he started like, was starting to make some, some decent traction as far as uh, monetary value of a monthly, you know, monthly paycheck from YouTube and kind of just really being able to focus on that and, and start to expand his, his, uh, you know, his, his passion and, and, you know, his company of world alternative media. And all of a sudden that just, you know, stripped overnight, no reason, no justification. So we have a lot of people, um, you know, we're very well connected kind of in the libertarian anarchist space, uh, anarchists as in like voluntarists, not these like Antifa type of, you know, fake anarchists. And, um, and we've seen so many people, especially this last, this past year. I mean, it's, it's just insane. I mean, we saw with Alex Jones, that was just the start. Now it's just getting down to like, that was like the top tier level. Now it's going down to everyone else. And so we wanted to, uh, to have a, you know, provide a solution for people, um, and, uh, you know, I would really appreciate for everyone that's listening and, and people that, that haven't joined. I know quite a few people are already on, on float right now, but, uh, yeah, you know, join and we are here for you. We are here for us as well. Cause we, you know, we do not support what is going on here. We think free speech is, is so important, um, for, for just humanity, um, for peace, for everything. I mean, we, we need to have these conversations and discussions. And a lot of us saw this coming a, a long time ago 
and now it's finally here and they are just ramping it up like crazy as you all know already um so we need to support alternative platforms not just float but you know all the other ones because the more it's a sim you know it's a simple equation the more users we have the more funding we can receive the more revenue we make the more we can build our platform the more we can expand on it the more features we can have uh the more we can support you so it's you know you scratch our back we scratch yours and let's do this guys because we don't really have a choice for anything else i mean they're going to come after us online and you know there's already a lot of restrictions on free speech even in, in person and that's where it's going to you know go next and we uh it's just so it's so important uh right now it's i mean it's it's uh, you know it's crazy times do you want to add that it was a lifesaver for me on float um after uh youtube decided to shadow ban me because at one point for at least a few months i was the fastest growing independent media in the world based on just a per capita rate of my growth and what happened was overnight i did an interview with david ike and the next day my channel went from an average of 40 to 60,000 views per video and i was posting two or three videos a day down to about two or three thousand views per video because they banned me from the side panel the algorithm basically took over and it made it impossible for my views to or my videos to be seen which I, I don't care about the money you know they demonetized me but the issue was i couldn't reach people and that's really where they cut your head off you can't reach people you can't educate people and one of the cool things about float was that um they don't have an algorithm on their news feed so that you know they can't just decide you can't be seen anymore if people want to see you they get to see you it's their choice there's not some you know hand holding by like the nanny state or the nanny tech conglomerates who basically tell you what you can or cannot hear what you can or cannot see and what you can or cannot know i think that's a really dangerous um aspect of this and a big part of technocracy is putting everyone into the algorithm making us become a part of the algorithm it's basically the heartbeat of the world right now everything down to the roads we're driving on are timed to an algorithm uh everything we write online is timed to an algorithm they make people happy with happy posts on facebook one day and sad posts the next day they there's a psychological study to be made there and i know some people have done it and the algorithm has so much to do with what you see or don't see which is why you have people clashing with each other they've driven people against each other divide and conquer method using technology and algorithm is a huge part of that and so to have something where i can post and by the way have all these people on facebook all these people formerly on youtube before i got deleted at world alternative media um all these people following me and then for them to just say you can't be seen anymore overnight it was a blessing in disguise um but it was really frust frustrating at first because i'm going you know i'm trying to educate people and i can't even reach them and um for us to have opportunities to post on these other platforms like float even when i i have about 4500 people following me on float now which isn't a lot but it's a growing platform but when i first got on there i would have like say 400 people following me and i would get more views on my post on float than i would posting it to 155,000 people so that really tells you how the algorithm plays in you can get so much more seen and get your information so much more out there if you're not connected to these i believe evil um technocratic algorithms that are based in the don't be evil mantra that started off google they they shredded that up and decided let's control everyone's minds and every you know faction of a person's life and we need to break free from that so float.app um bitshoot and um library/odyssey those have been great sites to be able to escape that and right now i'm getting i'm starting to get views more views on these sites than i was previously on youtube so that's a big factor so i don't, I don't think it's all lost again but i have to say to everyone that's smart on this panel 
why would they choose their thing to be don't be evil if they weren't evil? That's all I'm going to say. Who Orwellian doublespeak? Yeah. Maybe. Who chooses don't be evil? Okay, I'm off. Well, well, the worst part is that they got rid of that, which was even more outrageous. But Richard, let's get you in here, buddy. Last time I saw you were smoking cigars and having whiskey on your birthday. Happy late birthday. Thank you. And, and Brett ditched us that night. <clears throat> he had an excuse, something about COVID and somebody testing positive in his circle of friends. And he didn't want to be a super spreader coming down here to Connecticut. I hope you're uh, kidding. Yeah. All right. So uh, I only know like two thirds of the people on this call. I'm a long time listener. First time that uh, I've, I've been getting the invites from Ricky since when you guys started this, but I've been busy. So I wanted to make an appearance tonight because now it's like being on my favorite show. I, I know all you guys from listening to you that I don't know. And um, some of the common things that everyone's talking about is the censorship aspect, getting deplatformed, and then it's a struggle of replatforming and getting in contact with your audience. So, uh, Dan, I have a friend who backs up people's content. They run a company called Content Safe. So I asked, I asked the owner, did you happen to back up Dan Dix before he got deleted? He said, no, he did not. But if you have originals of your, your, uh, your productions, to put them on different platforms, we could probably help you automate that. So it's not so like upload the BitChute one, you know, at a time. You can he's taken my content and put it from Vimeo to BitChute or YouTube to you know one of these one of these other sites, uh, DTube, DLive. Um, can I just jump in right there? Yeah, uh, for sure. It's actually yeah that that's one of the things that we are working on at Float to be that bridge between the big tech platforms and this, these these new tech platforms. So. With Float right now, you can link your Twitter account. So when you post a Float, it'll auto post to Twitter. Um, we just actually released a feature where you can download your posts, uh, uh, pictures, and videos from Facebook and upload them to Floats. So that's a cool feature that a lot of uh, companies have not done yet that I think it makes us uh, kind of stand out. Um, we're also going to be utilizing uh, other ways where you can post a Float. It'll auto post to YouTube. Um, we have live streaming right now, which a lot of sites don't have. We have super chats. Every every uh, every account comes with a, a crypto wallet, which supports uh, Bitcoin right now. We're adding other cryptocurrencies, including stable coins, which basically follow the value of a of the regular like U.S. dollar or any fiat dollars out there. So it's kind of easy to use. Actually, it's it's actually easier to use um, once you just you know understand it um, more than easier than uh, PayPal. Um, and we're going to be doing other things too. We're building a, uh, a Float TV out where it's going to be kind of our, our YouTube version float right now is kind of like a has like a more of a, a Facebook feature sets. Um, we still have some features to add. We're working on groups right now. But uh, but float TV will be kind of like our YouTube uh, standard where um, we're going to be importing actually all library videos where I, you know, I want to talk with uh, BitChute to see if we can have their videos there too. So it'll be uh, you know, a really good hub for people to kind of move to to not only interact with their old communities on the big tech platforms, but also the the uh, you know a link for all of these smaller communities that are popping up with these these other uh, you know I call them small tech platforms, alternative platforms. Um, so we can just you know basically help each other because um, there's it's a big enough sea out there of all these you know people and users obviously on Facebook, YouTube, and all this. And I think we'll see in the future it's going to be more about like design and uh, UI UX user experience of what people want to interact with or which platform they'll choose to like be their daily one. But at the same time, we should all be communicating with each other so that um, each platform can can engage with each other. Yeah. So King, Kingsley, I don't have a float account yet. So can I use it as a single point of upload and you guys distribute it yet? Or is that what you're working toward? Or Not am I yet. Have to 
But yeah, not okay. yet. So, so you can you can upload if you can be a single point for Twitter right now. Like I said, you can download your Facebook data and upload your uh, post pictures and, and videos if you wanted to to uh, save that um, to your float profile. And uh, and then in the future, we're going to be adding uh, YouTube as a, a place where you'll be able to uh, to auto post there and also a library and uh, a bunch of other features that we're really excited about launching. Um, it's only a matter of time. And again, like we 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 built this and in. in uh, on a shoestring budget, we're, we're still fundraising right now. We're about 15% through our fundraising. But, um, you know, right now is the time if, you know, if you have the dollars or even, even a small amount uh, just to commit to, uh, to this, because I just, you know, I think just it's really important to obviously keep free speech alive. Yeah, so. it's super important because you got people like Josh and Dan and they're going to go after Luke and Jason and Corbett and anybody else that hasn't been gotten yet. So it's just a matter of time. So seeing that on the radar being able to back up and redistribute before they take all your stuff offline is essential. And then if you've been taken down, it's where can you get it back up? How fast can you get it back up? Do you have to add all the tags and the description back to it? Or can you find a way to automate that? And well, I, I want to thank you for offering that. Yes, yeah, no problem, Dan. I, I have uh, backed up every single video that, I, that I've ever made. And I do plan on uh, uh, uploading them all to these new platforms moving forward as we go. Um, so just the fact that you're helping people to automate that is fantastic. Now, I do want to let people know that um, there is a website that actually did back up every single video of mine before I got deleted from YouTube, and it's called altcensored.com. So if you go to altcensored.com and you search Press for Truth, you'll actually find my channel there and every single one of my videos. And it shows you the view count that I used to have right before the channel was terminated. Um, it plays it in nice crisp HD and you can actually right click the video and save and download the video. A godsend. A godsend. Who runs that site? Um, I, I've been talking to them over Twitter. I, I, can't, I, I don't have their names off the top of my head, um, but it's a couple of guys who, who obviously had the foresight to see what was coming and they protected these channels as a hedge. And it's uh, really cool that I'm on there. So all I don't know how they knew who to save because like when they deleted me last week and I was, you know, I had told four months ago, my social media person started backing it up. She'd only backed up 50 and I was so down and out. And then last moment, they're like, we sit, we, here you go. It was like a miracle. So I, I didn't don't know think they, they were going to get Dan. I didn't think they're going to get Josh. Like we backed up Dell big trees. Cause I said, I see that coming with all the vaccine stuff and then the COVID. So they backed up Dell's everything from YouTube. So when that got wiped off, it still has a chance to re-upload and be put back out. So that's right, right now, Ernie, Ernie's got to be dying to uh, chop in the bit right now because IPFS. IPFS, he already backed up Dan Dix, already backed up Josh, already backed up James Corbett, a lot of people. So I know he backed me up only too, copy of my, that. he has the only copy of my, one of my documentaries, by the way. So answer your phone, Ernie. <laughs> Paging Ernie Hancock. And also, also what's cool oh, is did, you, did you actually, uh, Josh, yeah. You're yeah, a little actually, warbly. Yeah, Ernie, Ernie, you guys have also uploaded my website yeah. up to IPFS, which is super cool. Sorry. And we actually had a drinking game where every time Ernie said IPFS, we're taking a drink. Now I said it, so I've got to drink a couple times. So, But I, I'm, I'm the one that egged him on this time. I knew this was going to happen. You guys are killing me. You know, you guys are killing me. I, I, I go like, this is what happened. We did uh, We Are Change, Press for Truth, World Alternative Media, some Richard Grove. It's sitepens.net, I think is where you can go see them. But we didn't keep doing it. You know, we had all of them up until like um, 
uh, uh, summer of 19 or something like that. And then, of course, we kept up Freedoms Phoenix and uh, PiratesWithoutBorders.com and Declare Your Independence uh, radio show and James Corbett. And the reason we did that is, one, I'm a big James Corbett fan and a lot of you guys, and I wanted to make sure it didn't go away. But I'm glad to hear that there are so many others that were thinking this way also. And I always knew that it's like quantum reality, man. If you, you take one step towards it and you start doing it, then everybody does it, you know? And I'm like, good, you guys got saved. And I'm glad to hear that you got it, uh, that saved, Josh. And um, But you can't count on us doing it. There was no real support for us doing it other than everybody grinning, saying, got to get another proved- shot of whiskey, here comes... Yeah, you proved it could be done. You know? <laughs> but... Yes, exactly. And that was the point. And now we're in uh, the world, Switzerland, Australia, Slopey as well. But he's, summer months before it's over in Maine, he's outside working to uh, build up search. They're making cell phones nodes now. It's going a lot faster. James Corbett went, holy crap, man, this thing's fast. I go, yeah. He thought it would slow down if he had too many people do it no that's what makes it faster so i'm seeing that as we're you know i'm, I'm glad a lot of people are challenging you know gootube and all this other stuff but i don't want to waste the time i don't care it needs to be internet three point kiss my butt you know we're just going there's going to be the people's internet separate from this we have things like starlink that are coming online that's going to bypass a lot but they're probably far up uh, Uncle Sam's butt too, so I don't know. But it shows, again, proof of concept. So I just wrote an article today on Freedom's Phoenix. I don't write often. I express myself on the show, but it was uh, the beginning is nigh. I see this is just the start. And like that's why I wanted to you know, make the comment with G. Edward about uh, it's all manufactured. You know, all this stuff is to, you know, scare you into thinking something that's not. I've been traveling on the Love Bus, lovebuslibertytour.com. We've been going around the country, and it is saturated with Trump signs and flags. I am, like, amazed. Now, does that mean that everybody supports him? I don't think so. We're all in it together. They all suck, you know? So I'm, I, I'm very hopeful, and whatever does happen, after this election tomorrow the next day you know all this stuff i don't believe a damn thing that they're doing the media is going to totally change and it's going to go to you guys this content that has been preserved and of course i want to slap josh around for not having a hard drive with all that stuff already anyway no, but i do I'm already taking I, carry all the time i, I do so i hate I to interrupt you because i do but, know that yeah, your internet's from uh, 1930 we, but <laughs> It's telegraph. Ernest, this is I'm optimistic. I'm very optimistic. And you guys make start using more signals. Well, with with everyone's audiences here, I mean, it's got a three second delay. I mean, if we had our audiences all, you know, creating these IPFS different servers and nodes, I mean, we could shut everything down in terms of YouTube immediately. So. Uh, you know, it's just he's proven the point of concept and and Ernie, you know, is waiting on Starlink more than anybody. So that way he can get some good Internet. But, uh, but thank you for well, having yeah, all that and, and by the way, I do have my stuff backed up on a hard drive in Canada. I'm living in Montenegro. I'm going to Egypt in a week. So like I 
I can't access it. So when they shut down my YouTube channel, all I had left of my 4K documentary where I hitchhiked through the Sahara Desert last year, which by the way, I put my life on the line for, and then YouTube took that video down. It's literally a historical documentation. Um, I it's it's backed up on BitChute in like 480p quality. So that's the only thing thing I have right now. I wanted to re-release it because I have a show going up on National Geographic in about a week uh, that's going to be airing on Disney Plus. Not that I like any of those people. I don't know why they even asked me after I called them a bunch of pedophiles. But um, the point is, they have my um, they have a movie going up on on Disney Plus on my adventures. And they can't refer it to anything because YouTube erased the original documentary off the internet. So, um, yeah, Ernie, you you have, if you put it up on IPFS, uh, I need to contact you because I, you might have the only version of that documentary that I can access internationally. Just uh, another point on the importance of saving your own you know, data. It was one of the guys. Yeah, Since we can't hear Ernie yet, Josh, what about yeah. your audience? Did somebody download it? Until June Maybe there's a call-in number he can call from. Hopefully. It seems right. better, Ernie. We can hear you now. Breaking up a little bit. He might come back, but... Um, this is his first time doing his show. No, so no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up on the Canadian border on the Columbian River in the middle of the nothing. <laughs> Good excuse. So, I mean, you, yeah, you, you didn't come visiting me. What's up with that? Just break through the border. You got a bus. You can it get through. Because it's illegal. Yeah. So like let, 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 <laughs> this show is falling apart let, fast. Let's Ricky get wrangling. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to pull it together here. Is it's, it, uh, is it possible to talk about the lawsuit to just circle back and to Mr. Voorhees because the hearing was today and it would be nice to just tell the audience. Yeah. Do you, do you want to expand on that? Well, and I also would like because I know then sometimes uh, you know these things go long and then people sit around and and listen for a long time and don't get a second to chime in. So after after we we kind of expand on this, I'd like to get uh, Tease back in here. Uh, Doctor Kendra Becker's been with us for a while. Gordo, Truthzilla, anybody who hasn't chimed in, Sean, uh, Brett. I don't know where Brett is. I I don't see him, but uh, I think he's still on the call. If he wants to chime in, anybody else afterwards? But uh, yeah, th let's talk about the lawsuit and then we can uh, you know go from there. Get some people in who haven't uh, spoken in a while or haven't spoke at all. You want you want to tell us about the lawsuit? Zach. But Zach's not here. He left. Oh, you missed that part. Oh, yeah. I missed. <laughs> Wanted to expand yeah, on. Oh, you marry him. Break it down for us. Okay, <laughs> so so in in a week we about a week we're able to raise a hundred and thirty thousand to file this emergency injunction, and. Um, then today was it moved really fast. And so today there was the hearing and we invited the public, but there were so many people that it kind of jammed the call and the Google lawyer could not get on. Um, it didn't look good. So sorry to report that. But the judge basically said she's giving a heads up that she's going to deny the motion. What I found interesting, if I can do justice, because I'm transcribing, you're not supposed to record the call, but I, I did record it so I can transcribe it, not share it. Um, that one, that they're calling these people on the 15th purge, that they're known by the FBI and West Point's terrorism center to be dangerous and to be QAnon conspiracy theorists inciting violence, which is like 
cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And then secondly, the fact that she said that she's not there to look at the content. So here we are having this conversation and basically saying they're not going to scrutinize the content of these of these plaintiffs that have been offed um, to determine whether they are truly violent. Um, so, so I find that I found that really, really crazy. We're not and we're speaking to people. She's an Obama, Obama appointee, the um, Laura Freeman judge and uh, Laura White was the Google um, lawyer that and so it seems like it's going to get thrown out so i i find that very disparaging and uh so i just wanted to to share that hey ricky this is really important like I, this is tim james i'm up here in portland oregon so if you guys want to come hang out we can go down to the tent city and have a good time it's, it's a lot of fun but you know one thing that i i was um i had brian fiesta on my show and he was i was so excited about him doing this lawsuit against the mask but this is the problem. Like we have a big problem in our judicial system. Like here in town, we have a really bad DA. And then I found out, I think it was uh, Mr. Griffin was talking about um, uh, uh, George Soros got brought up and I heard he got like $17 million he was using to fund these DAs to get them elected, which is nobody's paying attention to the local DA. So how do we go about this? I know, you know, Trump's and got a whole bunch of federal judges in. How do we how do we get root out all this corruption in the judicial system so that we can have fair um, uh, processes? Because here, if you're Antifa or BLM and you get arrested two, three days out, you're back out in the streets burning, tearing stuff down. But if you're a patriot, they're going to prosecute you to the full extent of the law. So if there's anybody, Mr. Griffin, do you have any solutions to this? Uh, no, I, I really don't. I, in theory, I would say you undo the not the the same way it was tied, only in reverse. But uh, I don't think we have that kind of money. But we might have the manpower to field some campaigns to replace those DAs. And certainly we've got to start taking a look at the judges that run for office, which most of us don't do. But I don't really, I haven't thought too much about the method of resolving that problem. But I agree with you, it needs to be, it definitely needs to be done. <clears throat> and I would suggest we just follow the knot and untie it in reverse the way it got tied. But, but just to say, so the, the connection between the type of content at issue in the plaintiff's channel channels and the real world harm and violence is well established and recognized by the FBI and West Point's Combating Terrorism Center. This is this is not true. So here we have um, people in, in the courts that don't have a grasp of what's really going on and that are basically outright saying that the content, the minutiae, again, the details, because we don't look at the details anymore. We're living in an age of mediocrity where the devil is really in the details is being glossed over. And then this is ruining how many plaintiffs it's kind of burning the the chances maybe there's an appeal maybe it goes to the ninth circuit court but i just find it important to to relate to the audience that um this is kind of spoiled and, and it's it's a bummer that you have someone who's judging over it and knows shit about what's really going on thank you you know what i'd like I to think say it was a really big Oh, I really sorry. liked that you were looking for more of a solution. I think it's great, everything that we're discussing. And Mr. Griffin, I, we like input on this as well. I think we all need to put 
some type of strategy together. Like it's one thing to get your stuff off YouTube and go on something so you are not censored and you can reach the masses. But it's almost, and maybe Ricky, you want to take this on, but it's almost like we need to put some type of flowchart of the areas that we do need change in and like task forces because we are intelligent people, I would assume, and we see the problems and what are we going to do about it? Because I don't think we have the luxury to think that someone's going to step in for us and clear all of this up. I think there are so many different mandates. Like I do functional medicine, so I get the whole mask thing. There's that. There's censorship. There's um, there's the truth that's finally being exposed. I mean, I went to a Trump rally this weekend for several reasons. I was curious and I wanted to see what it was like. And it was the most peaceful but patriotic that I've an event that I've ever seen uniting people that we haven't in New York and Connecticut since um, 9-11. And yeah, Trump may not be perfect, but the alternative is, I think, pathetic. Now, if you believe that Trump is going to be chosen because it's going to worsen things, then what are we going to do about it? I know in New York, yes, they've already started boarding up the stores. And even yesterday, we went to Rye Playland. There were some people that went to the Tappan Zee Bridge and some that went to Jersey. Originally, I think they were going to go to Trump Towers, and that's where the Black Lives Matter protesters and were re waiting. And they were upset that no one went down there. And the police had to arrest him. And because of Como, he got out because of the no bail thing. So there's a problem, and yes, there could be riots if Trump gets in, but what is the ultimate goal? What's the strategy? And I think it's on so many levels, but I think that the people here could actually put a plan together. I would be more than happy to help in whatever area I could, but I think we need to work together with a strategy. Uh, I, I want to point you. I want to point you guys to do a couple of uh, resources. So we recently spoke with a gentleman named Tom DeWeese. Um, he's with the American Policy Center. Um, he's been doing a lot of uh, work uh, regarding, uh, you know, addressing Agenda 21. He's written several books. One's called Sustainable. Um, he's actually got on his website, uh, AmericanPolicy.org. He's got this. It's activist training seminars. So it's these online, uh, it says right here, uh, series of training, uh, web training seminars designed to teach and empower those who want to take local action against the growing government out overreach that's infesting our lives. So it's basically um, these little seminars for we're teaching people how to get into action locally. And, you know, I think that's really honestly where we're going to have this. Like, I've, and, and, but unfortunately, what I've found is that, like, for me personally, trying to do some of this stuff ourselves, like, we're using their tools um, to 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 uh, try to coordinate. You know what I mean? We have to use like Facebook to to make groups, and we have to use uh, you know Twitter to try and like hashtag things. You know what I mean? And so I think moving towards these like like float um, IPFS. You know these are things that we're looking to personally like in our little project, but also like um, like for example, I started a group. It's called Shopping in Groups Without Masks. So here was my brilliant idea, right? We just we we get this group, and you know there's there's a hundred thousand people in our local town here, and it's like if we have a thousand people that come together and we say, Hey, I need to go to this store tonight or make designated like 6 PM to 7 PM. Every night is no mass shopping nights. You know, I'm, I'm here in Oregon. 
with uh, pretty restrictive uh, policies. It's like, if we show up 50 at a time at a store and say, here we are, we're shopping, like whatever, <laughs> you know, you're going to call the police. You have to call the police on all of us. You know what I mean? Like it, that, that's, that's literally what I feel it's going to happen, but it fizzles out because when I try to share it, uh, it, it, it just dies out because they see what's going on. And, and so that's it, man. Like, I don't, I'm curious to know if you guys have any other suggestions as far as like um, means of networking outside of the, the control structure, right? Um, I know another one that's been recommended to me is uh, uh, Freedom Cells, freedomcells.org. You know, we created a, a link there and I know there's um, some local factions, but not in our particular area. You know what I mean? And so we, we're, we're trying to network, we're trying to, but it's it's been such a challenge, you know? So anyway, yeah, I, I, I've been saying it's time, uh, you know, a lot of us have been like talking about the message and like kind of this, this freedom movement, especially like since the Ron Paul days, like there was this a big, you know, mass of, of people that all of a sudden uh, learned about like libertarianism or the constitution or these other types, you know, the federal reserve. And now, yeah, I totally agree that now is the time to organize. And now they're, they're basically, you know, big tech is like ruining these, these tools that we're all using these communication tools, um, that we're used to using to organize and they're, uh, they're basically, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, the government is also infiltrating our groups too, which they have a long history of doing that as well. But I know just like for me personally, I'll, I'll just, you know, talk about like we've been running like, let's just say the, the Las Vegas Bitcoin meetup since 2014. Um, that's where we're based. But we've been uh, basically, uh, you know, using that group and other groups really just to, yeah, like start, stop kind or, you know, take some time out to uh, uh, build, build these, you know, more relationships with people and find out, you know, skill sets that, uh, that they, they know that may be important, you know, in this shit hits the fan type of scenario that seems like it's almost inevitable uh, to come in like, you know, it seems, you know, potentially next year or sooner, who knows. Um, so yeah, I would just, you know, I would just say that, you know, that that's just kind of what we're doing. Also, you know, my wife and I, we're moving into an RV so we can just be more mobile, um, just in case, you know, things get really bad here in Nevada, it's, it's, it, it seems like they're trying to turn this into California or, um, as much as they can. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the old, uh, standard is, is more, buy more guns and ammo, uh, just in case and food and, you know, food prep as well. So just my two cents. Yeah, well, I think, you know, if we keep trying to look to the government to try to, you know, save us or going to their courts and using all, I mean, do we honestly think $130,000 going up against Google is really going to matter when Google was started by, you know, InQtel and the CIA and, and we're, we're trying to beg the government to, you know, give us our rights back and, and get us back on YouTube? I mean, why are we even still on YouTube? And people in the YouTube chat right now, I love you guys in the YouTube chat, but, you know, I've already posted the link to Float in there, posted the link to DLive in there, and people keep saying, what are you guys going to do? What are you guys going to do? Like, it's up to us, 24 people up here to change the world when we still can't even get people to go to our own websites or getting people to go to you know float or getting people to go to d live or getting we can't even get the people in the conspiracy movement to even do this stuff let alone people you know the, the general public and so it all starts with us and if you're not willing to use something like brave browser or pre-search or DuckDuckGo or go on some sort of alt media list yesterday do you want know to spent yesterday doing i spent yesterday compiling up all my emails together which i really didn't want to do because it took me like the entire day and a huge text message list you know into the thousands of saying you know what? You need to start going old school. This is how you know it's almost like the low tech now is starting to become the new high tech. And I don't think the answer is you know trying to petition the government. I came up through the Ron Paul days. I was you know in 2016, I reached 10 percent. The Russians did by myself on a page I just created on Facebook right before. And a week after the election, I've been completely shut down on Facebook uh, ever since then. Less people following me today than they did four years ago. And I was a gigantic Trump fan. I mean, I, even right here before the election, I'm embarrassed to say I bought a signed 
Trump hat. How many people are willing to spend the money on that? You know, thinking that he was going to win before the election. I bet not, not too many. My daughter was born on his first fucking day in office and I was wearing a Trump shirt. And now I've got people saying, oh, I'm some libtard. Well, guess what? My issue is the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is doubled under size under Trump. The, uh, you know, his first economic advisor was Gabe Cohn, who's a Hillary Clinton carbon tax bundler. Uh, like I didn't work my ass off to get to get those people up. So you know what I did? I went out and actually voted the other day for Kanye West writing in. And I also then voted to legalize weed here. And that was it. And left the rest of the ballot blank because, you know, going back and try to petition the government, you know, to, you know, treat us more fairly. The answer is if we can't even get people in our own movement to take some action and do something, then where are we going to go? And everybody, you know, watching this or listening to this and appreciate everyone who's watching, listening, but you know, let's face it. Most of us are too lazy. We're too convenient. So we're going to keep being on Facebook. Oh, well, Josh just got kicked off and Dan Dex got kicked off and James Corbett's about to be kicked off. Off and all these other people kicked off and oops, well, it sucks. And we don't hear from them. And I actually took a break from podcasting and I, and I came back the day Alex Jones was kicked off because I knew that that was a watershed moment. And if they could go after him, they could go after anybody. And you saw even people in the libertarian movement are like, oh, good. They kicked him off because, you know, he's kind of crazy and he makes us look bad, not understanding the bigger picture. So, you know, didn't mean to, you know, go on this ramp, but, you know, it's all taking these individual actions. Like, like right now, if you're watching this on YouTube, go over to Float, go over to DLive, go onto our individual websites and watch this, you know, go on Brave Browser, go on DuckDuckGo. Uh, this, is, this is one of the things that really frustrated me the most throughout all this is that I keep hearing from people going and saying things like, oh, well, there, there's there's too many, in, you know, independent and alternative, uh, in, you know, social media networks. I'm like, okay, so Facebook, or no, not Facebook, obviously, but Float, BitChute, and Library slash Odyssey or something like that, maybe Mines, three or four of them that are like really gaining ground. And it's like, meanwhile, people are on the mainstream, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Tumblr, Reddit, yeah. uh, WhatsApp, LinkedIn, Snapchat. And they're like, they're okay with that, but they're like, oh, it's too much work to go but, to like three or four. But I will say it's always, it's always our fault for not selling it properly. Like we need, as, like as a tech entrepreneur, entrepreneur, we need to make our, our platform uh, not only just as an alternative, but also uh, we need to have incentives in place to where you know content creators are making money on our platform. We need advertisers on our platform to you know if you guys have an incentive, I, you know content is still king. And so if you guys have are making money on Float, let's say, then you you have an then then you'll be posting on Float. <laughs> you're following. Wait, if we come up with features. If we come up with hold on, hold on, Make what? it work. Make it right. Go can, can, not, not a, I mean, as long as you the service for the content provider, it will come. And this is what I'm looking for. And I made a big deal out of it on Telegram. We just finally got the bus, you know, that 100%, except for this internet thing. But the um, uh, we're rock and rolling. We have a big event Thursday that we're doing up here in Washington. And you guys will probably hear about it, you know, on the internet. But the point is, is that, there is going to be content that will be distributed by uh, the people themselves. And everybody keeps going. I've been hearing this for years that we need the numbers. You got to go where the people are. I go, I never bought into that. I would take 10,000 of my subscribers or whatever against a hundred, a million, 10 million, a hundred million of other people because they are that much more effective. I give you the Ron Paul evolution. That was such an enormous, big, giant, neon flashing sign of what can be done with a few dedicated people that know what's up.
And that is what I'm looking. Everybody keeps looking at a metric of how many, and I'm looking for the quality. And they're sitting there ready, ready to help. I get so much impact and uh, contact and communication with people that have the capability of really making real systemic change. Of what is one of them. You know, I, I, that's why, you know, I, I work with Float as much as we can. We're really focused on making that and promote. And the reason is, is because I am looking for a platform that is going to be the future. Everybody keeps thinking that the people make them the future. You build it and they'll freaking come. I'll make sure of it. Well, peace out. I got to go. But, you know, Adios. encouragement to y'all, man. That would need like a, this is Sparta. My, my yeah, well, he's not wrong. Uh, I mean, back in 2006, 2007, when I found out about Ron Paul, a big part of it was actually through what people like Ernie was was doing at the time with the Evolution thing. I mean, I, w- I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the grassroots marketing that kind of brought me, brought that to my attention. So definitely 100%. Well, I'm going to say I haven't made 10 cents. From going out there. I've given out, I mean, I've done videos with people all over the internet that get 200,000 views. I haven't made one cent. Uh, I have no issue. I'm not doing this to make money. I'm not doing this about a platform. I'm doing this because, quite frankly, our country has been hijacked and, yeah. and my parents have been destroyed. These people like earn their right to live a good life. And in 2008, their lives got destroyed and destroyed again. And, and I, I haven't made one cent. You know, I'm, I'm on a million shows. Everyone has me on. I never asked for money. I haven't made one cent at all from speaking out. I speak out because I do the research and I have the facts. But the truth is that G. Edward Griffin told everyone the fucking truth. That we have been hijacked. The act of 1871 on, we have been hijacked. And if we're not going to have the fucking tools, my father and mother worked their whole lives, you know, for everything. And they have been from everything. And I, it, I haven't made one cent and I don't care. I really just, I go on shows to tell people that you can research it if I can research it. I'm not smart. I, I just, I, I want to know the truth. And I dig and I dig and I dig. And all I know is that what G. Edward Griffin told everyone with the swamp and this uh, city of London, D.C. and the Vatican have totally hijacked all humanity. And right now we have a choice. So I don't know why we're talking about ourselves tonight. What we should be talking about, in my opinion, on the last night before, like the end or not is what do we want what do we want do we want these people because you understand if trump doesn't win every everything we've done all the um cases against hillary clinton and the and the all the look trafficking and the fed and all this theft and thievery and ugliness goes away and it gets buried again for another thousand years so either uh, it's not about Trump. It's really about Trump is our last stand in the world against these UN disgusting, phony, uh, debt, slavery psychopaths. And but right now we have a chance. So all I'm saying is I, I 
I'm so grateful for all of us, but I've never tried to build a channel. I, I just tried to inform people that we are slaves to a debt demon, uh, satanic cult that really doesn't care. <laughs> Mr. Snyder and Mr. Uh, who else did Dr. Kendra Becker, anybody else who uh, who hasn't chimed in? Would, would you like to add to any of the things we want to? I been sure would. Yeah. Uh, my name is Sean Dustin. I host the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I want to speak to uh. the uh, to the grassroots. Um, you know, to kind of the grassroots of this. I mean, we all know that you know the censorship and everything else. We're playing with their tools, so they're going to be able to do whatever they want with our stuff. So why not? start taking a more uh to the streets approach to it like i had a i had a thought like i live in a fifth wheel just like you're uh, uh kingsley you're thinking about getting into a uh, a trailer i've been living in one for a long time um i have my podcast studio right right here in the front living room center what i'd like to do is start throw a wrap on my on my fifth wheel and and, and map out a uh trek down the highway throughout the country and you know do it that way every time a fifth wheel goes by it's crazy even me i'll still look at them as they're driving by the highway and if it's got a wrap on it that has you know alternative social media places to be on there you know it's advertising you know a lot of people are looking for truth right now they're looking for for answers they don't know where to go they don't know where to find all these alternative media spaces like we're informed but most of the rest of the country aren't you know, the regular, the regular people, uh, you know, the ones that you know, are still watching MSNBC, CNN, the ones like my, my mom, my, my dad, my grandparents, you know, the ones that are still alive, um, they do exactly what you're saying. They watch the news and that's what they say. That's what they believe. That's it. I, I can talk to I'm blue to my, in my face to my mom and she just does not want to hear it. She, there's just a block there that she doesn't want to listen to. So, I mean, no, there's going to be some that aren't, but you got to do something. I mean, I, I always say this because this movement was one that, that actually worked and nobody died. No one got assassinated. It was the, uh, the women's suffrage movement. And the reason why that movement was so, so uh, successful, it took 70 years. And the ones that started, it didn't see, get to see it finish. But the reason why it, it, it went the way that it did is because they were relentless about not giving up. They continually knocked on doors and tried to get the message out. They never stopped. They never quit. We need to start doing the same thing. Uh, 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 Nancy, you were talking about, um, you know, putting together some sort of a plan. Well, they do it all the time. They gerrymander. They do all these things. They know exactly what areas they need to go to to do things to, to, to make it the way that they want it. Well, we need to be doing the same thing. We need to be doing the same kind of war rooming that they are. They're super organized. They got tons of money. Well, we need to start doing the same thing. You know, get off your ass and, 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 and put your money where your mouth is, man. I mean, being comfortable is cool, but if you're not willing to die or at least get yourself hurt for what you believe in, I have a three-year-old daughter. I don't want to see her uh, have to have to be a slave to the society and to the and into all of that, man. Everything that we see, our our our, our whole our whole reality is inverted. Everything that we thought was really isn't. Our monetary system, what it is, how it really works, most people don't even know. 
You know, it's just crazy. We need to be educating people. That's why I say if you go, if you if you get in a get in a fifth wheel, hit the road, at least you can stop in places and start educating people on your stops. You know what I mean? Go ahead. I'm done. Can I jump in? Yeah, whoever said that, yes. Oh, whoever said that, that would be me. Hey, uh, so my name's Tease, uh, and I started a show called Conspiracy Synergy, and it's built around making the concept of conspiracy more palatable to people who have never been introduced to it before. And what I'm going to be doing personally, um, and I take take this what you will in your own uh, where you are and what you're up to, I'm going to be ordering uh, about 2,000 to 5,000 flyers that are uh, well done in a way in which they're non-confrontational such that I can then go to every single mailbox everywhere around me in order to gradually disseminate that information in a non-echo chamber, non-confrontational, non-digital form, simply to go out there and get the word out in a way where people are not afraid of it. And I say this because a lot of what the hurdle that we're facing right now as a community is and as concerned citizens has to do with the degree to which we've been polarized against one another, such that we're afraid to so much as hear one another out. And so, so much of what we're doing is both tone, so too is it tempo. And yes, it is important to have that sort of drumbeat march, but every bit as much people are really, really traumatized right now. And so as much as we want to go out there and get those rallies, for some people, it could be as simple as something in their mailbox that they have the ability to just view in private and then open their mind slowly to be able to step out there into the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I, this is Dr. Kendra Becker. Um, I have a medical practice in Connecticut. We just moved uh, to Florida, so I am virtual now. And to your point, Tease, it was, you know, to say that it's this drip marketing. You know, in our office, we put a sign on the door that said, you can wear a mask in here if you want to, but you don't have to. And it's that reestablishment of what should be normal or what should be acceptable or that we should just be simply accepting everybody for where they're at in their life at this point. And I think for all of us, as far as what the plan should be, the plan should be that all of us should be able to communicate our own mission and our own voice in this way and continue with this drip marketing because people are asleep and we are in the minority. But the truth of the matter is, especially as a physician, you know, there's tons of censorship. You know, it's not that doctor and not that study. And you post a study and the next day, you know, some alphabet soup agency pulls it down and redacts it, you know, because the science is settled on this, but the science is not settled on that. For anybody that knows anything about science, you know, we all know that science is ever evolving. No nothing is ever settled. So as long as we continue to have these conversations, you know, whether it's through 2000 flyers or a wrapped uh, fifth wheel, which I think is a really cool idea, uh, or just the, simply having the conversations or walking through Costco without a mask on or, you know, you know, having the conversation with people at the coffee shop that your kids aren't vaccinated or whatever it is, just kind of plants that seed. You know, it's not always that moment where that person has the aha, because there's a lot of guilt in that, especially as parents, when, you know, parents or doctors or teachers or whatever start to have their own aha moment and realize that they have contributed to some of the degradation in society. And that's my two cents. And it's late. And I'm going to the polls tomorrow at 6 a.m. So go me, right? So I'll be there um, actually talking about and, and being in the polls for uh, checking for voter integrity. So we all have to do our part. And it's a matter of just, you know, doing that little part and, and collectively keep having these conversations so we can move forward as a group and as a movement. Awesome. Thank you. 
Thank you, Kendra. I really appreciate it. Are, are you uh, you out for the night? I'm out for the night. You know, I'm an early riser, my friend. So <laughs> you can tell by that tan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Thanks. I'll see you guys all soon. This was amazing. It's so nice to be part of it. And I did speak at the Red Pill Expo if Ed's still on, because we all know we love you. And I met tons and tons of people there that I'm still friendly with today. And it was a great honor to be part of that because it's just an amazing, again, an amazing movement. Thank you. Thank you. So anybody else want to add to what she said or have anything else you want to add? I just wanted to say um, as to the, to the point of the like passing out flyers and whatnot, um, I have these little, they're, they're COVID information cards and I got them from the vaccine conversation podcast. They have a immunity education group, Melissa Floyd. And uh, so I ordered these, I've been passing them out to people. I know that, uh, that are susceptible to the information but they're very non-confrontational. They have, you know, a, a panic or perspective. Overstated mortality rates, asymptomatic spread is false, and uh, talks about the mandatory COVID nineteen vaccine that they're trying to implement. And uh, so it's just one way, you know. I've I've handed them out to like you know family members and whatnot. You know, uh, tell them about the windshield. I do story. have this kind of funny feud going on as well. I have uh, the parking garage next to my work. Someone that probably knows uh, where I stand on this issue and sees me walking around without a face diaper all around. Uh, they, they put a mask underneath my windshield wiper. So I come out to my car after work and there's a mask in there. So I, I threw it on the ground and it happened again the next day. So, uh, so I put one of these cards on underneath my windshield wiper. So they didn't put a mask next day. I didn't put it. A mask comes back. So I've been adding more cards and more information each each day. And so so we have this kind of view, but but they're getting educated in the process. And everybody who walks by my car seeing these cards. And I also have uh, you know, uh other cards about vaccine information and whatnot. They have flu vaccine cards. Uh, but they're you know, just great tools. So um Yeah, you can contact Melissa Floyd on Instagram and she can get them to you. Yeah. So to your point, so my kids are uh, 14 and 11, and I used to breastfeed them all over public. I was living in Connecticut. It's a law that nobody can say anything to you. And I would always go into those little like nursing rooms or into dressing rooms in, in stores. And I used to carry those little cards about the legal laws around breastfeeding. And then when mm -hmm. my kids got older, we would go to parking lots and things like that. And, and, you know, pepper flyers that it's, it's a definitely an effective technique, you know, to your point where, you know, I also did a whole bunch of, of mask free shopping when all this started, similar to how we used to do nursings all those years ago when restaurants would discriminate against people that were nursing. So I do think there is part of this organic grassroots movement that has always been uh, present. And I think it's wildly effective. So, I mean, continue, continue that. And Melissa's group is, is great and her story is amazing. So the information is, is really useful. Yeah. I, I think Ernest Hank is an expert on this. Like I, I got the honor to sit with him for six hours on a car drive up to a red pill expo. And uh, you know, what it comes down to is public opinion. Uh, and when it comes to public opinion, and you know, I always, you know, share my books with as many people as I can, tons of people are you know, buying them. There's lots of people that are waking up. They're even having their own little things around Canada. Me and Tim, actually, we have a massive chat group with a ton of people that are actively involving, adding more people in and so on. Uh, so we're just creating, a, a, you got to create, you know, a, a separate infrastructure for people <clears throat> to actually be able to share information where they're not censored, where they could you know, get ideas and then also get off the grid uh, that they're currently have been building because when they put in the, those digital 
that digital currency, uh, the central bank, you will have a direct bank account at your central bank in your own country. That's game over for, you know, having any freedom unless you actually prepared yourself. I would like to uh, jump in here again. I was glad I backed up because I learned so much from what I've heard. And I've especially, I've learned a lot about how many different ideas there are, things to do. I'm preoccupied with this question, what are we going to do about it? And as I've been listening to these comments, I'm, I'm reminded of the difference in military terms, the difference between a strategic plan and a tactical plan. A strategy and a tactic are quite different. And in general, I guess you could summarize it by saying a tactic is an idea of how to win a battle, but the strategy is how to win the war. And they're two quite, quite different. And um, I think that's one of the problems in our, our movement is that we get really totally occupied with tactics and we don't give much thought to the strategy. So we're thinking, how, how can we survive? How can we push back? Uh, how can we defend ourselves? But we don't think about how can we win? What do we need to do to actually win this battle? If we don't come up with that, then all the tactics in the world are, are not, they're just going to be delaying strategies. And that leads me to the next thought that I've been thinking about is that they say that the purely defensive is doomed to defeat. So everything I've heard so far is defensive. It's a, well, we can, we can last a little bit longer if we do that. Maybe we can reach out and, and get better public awareness, but that's not, we, uh, we haven't talked about what if we do get the public awareness? What do we do with it? How does the public awareness transform into capturing control of the power base of society, the people that are making the rules, the people that control the army and the military and the police and the courts? If we don't deal with that issue of the, the, uh, you know, how we win the battle, we're going to lose. And so that was the reason back in 2002 I created an organization called Freedom Force International because I wanted to deal with that, quest, that question of how you – how do you win? And what does that mean? And well, that means you've got to think in the long term. You can't be just thinking about what are we going to do for the next election? Lord, by the time, by the time we're thinking about who you're going to vote for, it's all over because your candidates have mostly been selected by people you don't even know. And uh, the strategies are already planned for you. We have to think in terms of how do we recapture the system? And that's, you know, it sounds impossible, but if we can't recapture the system, we lose. We're just, we're just have delaying tactics. Maybe we can last a few more years if we go out in the country and we get away from the 5G a little bit longer. And then they, then we have to figure out, we'll use barter instead of, instead of real money. And maybe, maybe we'll have a water supply that's independent. And we're thinking about all this defensive and retreating. So the reason I'm saying all this is that I would like to inject back into the, all these conversations, these strategies for coming back to power and recapturing the system. And if we really think seriously about that, I think everybody here that's touched on it has agreed to the fact that it starts at the, at the root, at the grassroots, at the local level. You cannot start at the top. You cannot save the system and say, well, let's get a president in or a new king or a new emperor because everything flows down from that. It's not, you have to build, a, all, a real movement has to build from the bottom up. So we need to establish community organizations. I'd like to call them campuses. I like to think of them as campuses at Red Pill University, 
uh, clusters of uh, five people starting it and then growing to maybe 30 to 60 people in each county that can make things happen and, can, and throw throw the public support in the county to make sure we have the board of supervisors is under our control. Uh, make sure the judges that are elected are under our control or the right people. I don't mean under our control, but agree with our thinking uh, and in that sense. And, and the board of education and, uh, you know, the mayor from the grassroots up, and then we'll worry about the national affairs after we do that. So that I just want to close with that, throwing that in. I hope that goes into the mix. Can I just well, pick I up on what say, oh, go ahead. I, I want to say about what you just said is that um, it appears that um, George Soros did go to the local level, you know, and and what you're saying is the point is that lo like normal humans have to step up and get involved in their own communities. And I, I think George Soros went to our communities while we were blind. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, Soros, I think, according to the New York Times, had put, a, put aside $19 billion to subvert free democracy. And like Ed said, it can't start from the top down. You have to start from grassroots up, not with groups and communities, but with individuals and being able to get intellectual self-defense back in place. And what does winning look like? Let's look at their agenda to subjugate freedom forever. It breaks up the family. It means you, it, it, they take you away from education and put you through indoctrination called schooling. That means you don't know yourself. You have to believe in yourself to get started. But after you get confidence and competence, you get, you get what you are looking for. You get that attitude of gratitude that you can take forward into the world and pay it forward through your actions. They don't want people to have that type of confidence. They want you to feel like your self-esteem is provisional, that anything you have to learn, you're helpless. That's learned helplessness. They want you to have a scarcity mentality. So all these things they want for us are the things we have to take out of ourselves and take out of our family. We have to take out those limiting beliefs that artificially hold us back from finding and acting those solutions out. So the strategies are that which goes on above your shoulders. Those are the ideas we're having and discussing. But the tactics, to Ed's point, is what we do out of this call. How do we conduct ourselves with other people? How do we encapsulate this information and get it out to more people while the time is right for it? Because they're trying to extinguish freedom for everyone on this planet forever, not just through technocracy and not just through Silicon Valley and not just through the election. It's a full spectrum dominance plan that they have orchestrated and documented to the nth degree. And going back to Soros and your local district attorneys, Soros, that foundation methodically discloses their donations. You can see Soros donations to a place, a famous pizza place in uh, DC if you want to look up that stuff. It's out there. So if you want to see if he's bought off your local district attorney or anything in the legal system, then that's the way to do it. I would go to the nonprofit foundation and they follow the fiscal rules of reporting that sort of stuff. You just have to sift through and control F and it's a bunch of tedious research, but it's very doable. And then if you bring that out in public, maybe to your local newspaper, if it's not owned by a big conglomerate, you can get it out there. So I think optimism is something that we all need to inspire in others because there's so much pessimism out there. We only need one good reason to succeed. But if we buy into any of those millions of excuses to shrivel up in this situation, we're going to lose. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie, do you... Charlie, uh, Brett, I know we haven't heard from Brett yet. Uh, Gordo, any of you guys want to uh, chime in? Just pick up from what Rich said really uh, quickly. In addition to doing all that and and like trying to share this stuff with other people, I think it's really important that we're able to show some of the dividends paid from our work, right? So like 
Mr. Griffin talked about tactics and strategy, and I would say even beyond strategy is principle, right? Like I think if we if we get down in the weeds and tactics all the time, it's easy. And we've, we've seen a lot of this probably in the last five years. We've seen friends of ours wander off into the alt-right or other places because they got too focused on tactics and they forgot about some of the principles that are really important to us. I think one that we all share is probably freedom, individual freedom, right? And cognitive liberty, to use Rich's terms, and all, all the... Various. And we learned about that from Ed since 1967 in that black and white video that we've all seen on YouTube where he sits in that living room and so eloquently explains the problem that we're still dealing with today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, uh, while I have that entry point, I just do want to, since I have the chance, say thank you to G. Edward Griffin for, first of all, turning up the volume on the distinction between individualism and collectivism and also, for somehow finding that guy, Yuri Bezmenov, whatever that was, 36 years ago, because I do like when... And when for I, Norman Dodd. Yes. Let's not forget Norman yes, Dodd. Yes. And that I wish we had two hours left so I could ask him all kinds of questions about that. But I do love when people like to push Russia conspiracies. I say, well, here's one you've never heard of, and you're going to love it. This one is wild. These people were here <laughs> 40 years before you guys started talking about this stuff. But if we have tactics at the at the bottom and then strategy in the, in the, in the of course, they're all important. They all have their different fu functions, but superseding both is principle. Um, being able to, with those principles in mind, the people that we're trying to reach, the people that we need to reach right now, we have to be able to show them the dividends that our work has paid, right? How have we, what, how are we happier? How do we have more freedom? in our health, in our finances, in our work, in our relationships, in our emotional and physical health. Like if all that is well, how 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 are you feeling? You well, you start. You go first. How do you feel? Well, no what I'm saying is that this is something that I definitely try to show in my work. Like for example, well, what 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 is but you're saying we need to share that. So you share it. Okay, which uh, in which area? Well, you're saying you have to share, we have to share like how it's benefited your life and all this. And, and, you know, you're saying like, we need to be the example. Exactly. So I'm asking you, how has this benefited you? Well, I think it was helpful as far as like people that I tried to reach for 10 years with all of this stuff that was happening in the world. Um, and when the stakes were low and there was nothing to really pay attention to, I could go on and on about all of these different conspiracy theories, as people called them. Um, and nobody wanted to listen because there was nothing at stake. There was nothing to lose. And then this year, uh, you know, I gathered up the people that I cared about. I said, here's what I think is happening right now. And when a couple months went by and I turned out to be, I mean, I wasn't perfectly right. Nobody knew. Exactly. Nobody knew us anyway. That's not the point. But yeah. Going. Okay. Um, that when they could see like, oh, he knew what he was talking about. So the all of this work that he's done actually let him get, uh, you know, what I would say to them just to, to go in and give an example is I was like, if you're just watching Fox News or CNN or reading the New York Times or whatever, you're exactly at the same spot that everybody else in the country is. And I'm just trying to, with all the work that I've done, I'm trying to, because I care about you, move you one step ahead, do these things. And when a few months went by and people said, wow, because, because there was, if you didn't know, you kind of got screwed in a lot of ways. So um, people started to listen to me 
And and you know, I mean, there's I it would it would take me a long time to go into my story and how trapped I was as a school teacher, you know, like ten plus years ago before I just realized that, you know, I could I could put out the the message in a podcast and reach as many people in a day as I could have in a career. I mean, that was that was a liberating thing. And and when that produces like you know, not just more personal freedom, um, but but the happiness that comes with that. I think that's something that we need to be able to project in the world. Like this work pays off. If all absolutely. this so, absolutely, that's yeah. why I ask you. Right. So I think we could find plenty of people on YouTube who what you know what they're presenting is like what I get from this is fear and paranoia and angry uh, anger and enemy imagery. I think there's a lot of people be like, okay, well, you know, I'll watch that from a distance for entertainment, but I'm not buying into what you're doing. So I, I, that's what I mean by showing people the dividends that this is paid. There has to be a reward. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be a million followers. It doesn't have to be riches, but it has to be something I think in, in terms of like, not just like, authentic gratification, authentic self-esteem, but, but happiness and, and more control and more freedom. I think those things are really important. And I think if we're trying to reach new people, those are the things that we have to be signaling and showing right now. Absolutely. That's why I asked that. Because I, I think most of the people I know on the Union of the Unwanted don't care about making money or being famous. Nobody cares. Everyone that I know personally that's involved here, it's more about we want to just share the truth. And if people want to hear it, great. If they don't, fine. But I, I'm not. The people that are out there trying to make money, they're not the people I know. I mean, none of my friends are making money. But they're just, they just feel like we've been lied to. And nobody's telling the fucking truth. And, and you know, I mean, I'm not in it for money or a platform. I've made not two cents in seven months. I've done tons of shows. It's not the point. The point is that we have been lied to and we have been denied our true freedom by well, on right, a million right. levels. And, and that's at a time that's kind of crucial to to reach new people and project this message further, I think what we've learned in the last five years is that most people, like if we could say that we're putting the truth out there, most people aren't interested. They're like, I'm not buying that. It's it, and and they have all kinds of little mental gymnastics routines and trap door or escape doors that they can jump through when we try to present it. I have literally had people like. I've been in arguments, political arguments with people. And this is before the last five years when everything got really bad. And I'd take out my phone and I'd be like, I have something that actually proves you wrong. And I've had to chase people with my phone, like to, to try and get them to look at it. People aren't interested in the truth just because it's the truth. The truth can be incredibly disruptive. Can I agree with you? Yeah. <laughs> and add to what you were saying. Um, because you're so completely right. I have literally had people run away from me when you actually try and tell them what's happening. And I, I see that as insane. I'm like, what even just happened? This was a, a perfectly yeah. civil conversation. Yeah. And, I've, and I've heard Rich previously talk about the idea of what's going on within the whole thing is having a marketing problem. And I agree with that. But I think it's even deeper than that. I think it's a branding problem. 
And a branding problem is profound right now because people are walking around purchasing their groceries based on the cartoon character on the front of a box. They don't even understand what the problem is. You're already branded as conspiracy theorists. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you don't know how to handle those objections, which is a sales problem actually, but you're right. Yeah. (laughs) I was agreeing with you, Rich, but thank you for agreeing back. Uh, Yeah. No, it's, it's one of those things where like we, we have to understand that it's, it's unfortunately hugely packaging based. And this is, this is what has been done to the psyche of everybody almost to a certain degree because everything is branded. Absolutely everything. The mythos of America, what we eat, what we watch, all of it. And so that's just kind of one of the things I want to throw out there about what the threads you're picking up on. But to unbrand to it, you need narrative. Like uh, Aunt Jemima was branded until another narrative came along or, you know, so you can change these predispositions that people hold those, those, uh, thing, those triggering ideas, but you have to change it with narrative. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. It kind of reminds me of the old adage, they know, uh, I've got an open mind, except in those things on which I have a strong opinion. <laughs> and that's true pretty much across the human race. All the open minds are not open on everything. It depends on how strong their convictions are on something. So we're dealing with people that is so deeply ingrained in their minds, it's like a religion. It's it's deep, and uh, they feel that their that their whole system, their values, their judgment, their worth as a human being is being challenged. So they have to run away because they don't want to deal with it. And I, I understand it. I you know I, I've been in in that spot. I probably under some circumstances I might still <laughs> do that. <laughs> Who knows? If somebody comes at at me with some literature, they're going to show me that. Uh, uh, that Karl Marx was really the, the most brilliant guy in the universe, I'd probably run away and say, look, I don't have time for that, you know? And when I, really, if I'm going to be true to my principles, I should say, oh, yeah, let me consider that, please, you know? No, I'd say, look, I've been over this. I've been over this. You have no idea how much I've been over this. So I don't want to hear it anymore. So I, I think that's what we're up against, too. And Yuri Bezmianov, you mentioned him. He mentioned that in one of his interviews. He said, once you get through that uh, demoralization stage, he said, yeah. you can show people the fact. You can give them documents, and they will not believe it, no matter how much documentation you give to them, because you're violating that, that deep conviction of truth that they already hold. So the, the trick is, how do you deprogram that? How do you defuse yes. those preconceived ideas? It can be done. It can be done. And uh, I had to do that as a young guy. I had to speak before, not had to, I sought out the opportunity to speak before college groups uh, back in the, in the sixties and seventies. And uh, I was considered to be a, a kook because I was uh, associated with the John Birch society in those days. Well, you walk onto a campus, a college campus back in the sixties and seventies as a spokesman for the John Birch society, then they're ready to, tar and feather you and get you up because they know you're you're a nazi a fascist a communist a racist everything every word you can think of they know that's you so you got to stand up in front of an audience and the people come in and they got this preconceived idea of what you believe and then not only that they've come in organized some of them come in with their classes that have come in and the professor is right there in the middle and they've rehearsed how they're going to expose me in front of the whole audience they've they've figured out what questions are going to ask me and expose these, these lies that I'm telling. They've, they've, they've practiced and they're ready to go, you know, and that's, I get up on stage and that's what I'm facing. And I discovered that there is a way to diffuse that. And that's it. It's called diffusing. And I, I learned it from a, a sales manual and the, uh, it's this 
you can read that in practically any good sales book. If you if you're trying to sell an old clunker car uh, to somebody, and uh, and you know that they're they've got an objection, maybe they think the car is a piece of junk and it won't run, or maybe they'll think it's too expensive. Let's just say they'll think it's too expensive. What you'll start off and say, you know, you're probably thinking this is too expensive, and I I considered that fact. Let I'm going to talk about that. So in other words, you, you bring up the objections first. You must always diffuse the thing that you know is in your in your in your audience's mind that's a barrier to your communication you figure out what it is and it's pretty easy to tell most of the time and then you bring it up yourself to let them know that you're going to discuss it and deal with it in a uh, an intelligent manner and they're diffused you can just see them back off and say oh my gosh he's, he's going to talk about the thing i was going to expose him on now it doesn't always work don't get me wrong but it works about 85 percent of the time and maybe if you were good enough at it it would work 100 percent of the time and we need to use some of these communication techniques in our in our efforts. And I like the the idea of the pamphlet a lot because you can you can build those diffusing techniques right into a pamphlet where sometimes you cannot do it when you're in a face to face conversation because you've got to stop talking and let the other person talk. I, I completely agree with that. I actually just want to add on to the significance of the pamphlet. A lot of what we are communicating here is symbolic. And so if you're going to go out distributing pamphlets, a lot of people are scared away by words. They don't read as much as they should, and it's very, very intimidating. Uh, so please incorporate a very deep, integrated, and well-understood uh, symbolic unspoken theme that is not particularly confrontative or overwhelming, such that literally anybody can see it as if it's the akin to or the equivalent of the cartoon character on a cereal box. Not that that's what it is when you get into it, but more that that's how it feels when you first tiptoe into it. That kind of thing. Yes, and the use of, of images are very, very important. Historic images, uh, cartoons sometimes, uh, representative, a lot of graphics, you know, so they don't have to push through a lot of text, but sort of skip around and, and uh, that kind of thing. Very, very effective for us. And the left is masterful at this. I, I would uh, just, I need to sign off. I, I have fever and I, I, I have to go. Uh, may I just say a few words, please? More cowbell. A cowbell? Ding-a-ling-ling. I don't have the Rona, but I do have fever, but they've, since they've criminalized the fever. Um, just in, in terms of, I'm sorry to interrupt, Mr. Griffin, what you've said. I, I recently, I took a psychology of cults class in, uh, I minored in psychology and majored in, in uh, journalism. For those who don't know me, I directed a film called Vanishing of the Bees, and I've been covering the Rona since January, um, play by play. And I'm uh, being attacked under Operation Quack Hack because they're coming after natural remedies and I'm a functional medicine consultant and coach. So I recently looked at Stephen ha Steve Hassan's deprogramming book because I think that we're all uh, being invited to do trigger work. Um, my approach, you know, going down the streets of on the mission and going like, why are you wearing your face diaper? outside i don't think that's going to work my that approach of being super triggered so i've been trying to refine how i can reach people going door to door before we're locked in and literally speaking about having little retreats where we can recruit people and love bomb them and slowly deprogram them so i just wanted to acknowledge i would love your pamphlet and um all four images um so i just wanted to to share that, um, I uh, wish you all peace and to say that I never was able to monetize on my YouTube channel. I was busy trying to save my company by being attacked 
uh, for selling CBD when I, I first started writing about um, techno fascism, a, a term I popularized in 2016. You did. You did. Yes. I'm the biggest you. fan. <laughs> I love you. Um, and so, um, yeah, what was my train of thought? Uh, yeah, it's techno techno fascism. And uh, I never, I'm not doing this for money. And it's sad. Like I just wrote, I shared with you guys a piece I wrote on activist post on punchgoogle.com, which by the way, they said was violent. The, the Google lawyer, lawyer said was violent today. So um, even that, like writing, it's like, oh, makeup artists get more fucking money than I do. And I'm a brilliant journalist that does research. And we're living in a topsy-turvy world where I noticed that as soon as I get on a stage, I got axed, by the way, Google, because I shared my talk alongside Dell and Aaron, the nurse whistleblower, and Dr. Madej, that I was honored to be speaking by them because I've been an advocate for vaccine safety for at least seven years now. Um, and they, they axed me. So I've never made money. But it's sad that, you know, once you go on a stage, they, they give you respect somehow. It's like magic. And they give respect to these effing uh, celebrities, Fauci gang and, and bullshit. So... It's a topsy-turvy world and um, we have to re-educate. And if they don't, didn't care about truth, then why are they offing us? And why are they offing some of us, but not others? Maybe it is just a matter of time. I don't know, but it seems like some people uh, don't, um, don't fall prey to, you know, like with, with all due respect, um, Mr. Voorhees is not censored. Uh, not nearly as much as me. I'm banned from PayPal, Kiva, GoFundMe, Instacart, um, Airbnb, and now Amazon. They took 10 years of my books. 10 years of my books that I paid for. Fuck them. Excuse me. So thank you all uh, for fighting for, for truth. And I really hope we can prevail. And um, yeah, that's it. And I, I was very happy to see that in Miami... There was a chant of fire Fauci. That was amazing. Amazing that 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 happened. Uh, Griff gave me the shivers and I clipped it on Twitterville, which I live. So blessings to you all. Let's see what happens tomorrow. Uh, thank you, Mr. Griffin. I'm sorry if I offended you with my potty mouth. Thank you. Thank you, my dear. I've heard I've heard all those words before. I haven't looked them up in Wikipedia yet, but uh, sorry. <laughs> and I, I too have to go. But I want to just go back to that business of of uh, strategizing your message so that you don't offend people and, and defuse them. Uh, I uh, have wanted to produce a pamphlet, and maybe maybe uh, somebody here on this esteemed group would get to it faster and do a better job. But the way I would like to see that pamphlet used is as follows. If somebody comes up to me as they did on the airplane uh, a week or so ago, and I had my, my mask down, you know, and this guy from across the aisle said, excuse me, sir, but pull up your mask, you know? And so I decided, you know, I, I picked my battles. I was not, I didn't want to shout, shout anybody. So I put it up, said, thanked him. And I got to thinking about it. Here's how I would like to have used the pamphlet. I would have liked to turn to this chap and said, oh, well, thank you for your concern. I really appreciate that. You're a good person. You, I, I understand how you're motivated. And, and I, I think that's a very good thing. But, you know, I have some other thoughts on it. that I, Maybe you would like to, to examine some questions that I have about this. 
you might find this interesting and just hand it to him and not argue or debate with it. You might find this interesting sort of thing after having complimented them on having done what they think is the right thing to do. I think that's probably in, in that range, some, some kind of approach like that would probably give us the best chance of reaching the people we want to reach rather than turning them into enemies. Mr. Griffin, I just want to say that I will personally backhand anybody who tries to tell you to put up your mask. But that's just... You do what? I missed that. <laughs> I, I said I would just, I will personally backhand anybody who, who tells you to uh, uh, wear a mask. <laughs> Okay. All right. Gotcha. So I got your back. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Well, you know, I got to thinking about this chap. He was a young fellow, but he really thought he was doing the right thing. And uh, he's a good guy. You know, if we could just uh, reach him, he probably would be on our side. But if we start yelling at him and telling him he's stupid, uh, we lose him permanently. Do we do we have the time though right now to communicate this because it seems like things are just like uh, like we all talk about incrementalism but now the incrementalism is kind of out the door and it's I you know it's it's it's, it's that's what's kind of confusing for me right now usually I'm I I completely agree with you but now it's it's like we almost have to like pick our sides and like I have a military background after 9/11 I you know I believed in that lie and I joined the navy to become a navy seal and I you know a lot of my friends they, they went on to special forces and a couple of them died and all this. But, uh, but it's like coming to a point where I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm talking, uh, those are the type of people that I'm trying to maybe turn our way because it's, it seems like it's, we're getting to that point almost where, you know, militias, you know, I mean, we see now, you know, uh, black militias, white militias marching down the streets. I mean, well, see, that's you know, what they I'll, want. Yeah, they, they want yeah. that kind of conflict, yeah. Right, right. But is there any way to avoid it? I, I just don't well, know. Well, I think the only way to avoid that, and I get your question, do we have enough time? I don't really know the answer to that, but I think we do. I, anyway, even if we don't, we've got to do it. we got to try it because that's the only way we could, we find out. It, it Better to go down trying than go down because we never tried. I think uh, I like what uh, Max Egan has said. He uses the phrase, uh, always starts with the word folks. <laughs> folks, uh, we've got the sleeping masses. We have to wake up. And I, I like that phrase because that really is. The masses are sleeping. There are a lot of good people out there, and they should be on our side, and they will be on our side. So I think the most important thing we can do right now, well, the two most important things is, is to get our strategy and our, our uh, strategic plan together and start working for how we win and, and regain power. But at the same time, we have to win over the sleeping masses or wake them up. Not that they're going to be part of our movement necessarily, but they're going to support us. And they won't support the other side. That's the important thing. That's why the tyrants worry about the masses. They know they can control the masses, but they have to influence their thinking, even though they know that the masses will never really participate in their movement. They just have to have their their agreement, their support, uh, their friendship. So we cannot ignore those guys that are trying to help us by telling us to put our masks on. Potentially... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you out. Um, wouldn't you also agree, though? Like, I, I look around and it's like the government has already we're already at war. There's a there's a war between tyrants and basically peaceful people. And a lot of these, you know, the, the tyrants, um, they, they wear uniforms, you know, in the in the military uniforms, police uniforms. Uh, they, they they live in, you know, or they work in, in uh, D.C. So at what point do we as free thinkers and, you know, kind of, you know, woke um, do we kind of realize that we're already at war and at what time do we start organizing in that fashion um, to defend ourselves? Because, you know, well, that's... 
That's where I, it's I came to that. I asked myself that question in probably about 1962. And I answered it. Yes, this is really war. But then I said, is it the same kind of war? And the answer was no. This is not a war between armies with uh, uniforms and uh, guns and bombs and tanks. This is a war for the minds of people, the loyalties of people, and it cuts across national boundaries. It's a war in which your neighbor could be your enemy uh, and, and not necessarily somebody from another country. So we are in a war, but we, I don't think we respond by saying, okay, we're in a war, therefore let's get up the weapons that we used in the old style war and try and fight the new style war with the old style weapons when no, the new style war is being fought with the weapons of information dominance that's the, that's the term that the military uses, information dominance. And we must struggle to gain that. Otherwise, we cannot win. But we can gain it. We can gain it. And I think our, our methods that we, we've seen underway here, when, uh, uh, when Mickey Willis puts out his, his pandemic video and it gets banned by YouTube, and then it's in the next three weeks, it's seen by a billion people around the world. That tells me that there's a lot of hope in gaining uh, information dominance, even with the with the broken tools that we have. So I'm really encouraged by that. I wanted yeah, to help I, bridge the gap I, okay, with Kingsley's can just, question. So can I say one more thing? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't mean to, to take control of the conversation, but it's just really important to me, this, this conversation. Um, so I, I, I completely agree with you, but at the same time, so this is a, a personal uh, example, but it affects many people, especially in the U.S. and, and around the world. But like, so for instance, um, this war that's, that, you know, they've engaged with us uh, in, in terms of the war on terror, the, the war on information, the war on drugs. So for instance, my father right now is serving a 60 year sentence for, uh, he's in his 27th year for a nonviolent drug crime from 1993. So the, the, you know, the occupying force, the government has already taken my father hostage as a terrorist organization. And now, you know, basically is holding him as hostage. And so, you know, at, at what point do, you know, now we're talking about vaccines and, 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 uh, you know, other mandatory things potentially where it's going to throw more people into prison. So at what point do we say enough is enough is kind of, you know, like where I'm, where I'm going. And it's, it's a personal matter to me because of my father's situation. Well, yes. And I'll, I'll sort of repeat what I said before. I think we passed the point of enough is enough. That's not the issue. Well, in fact, we should have said that a long time ago. Enough is long ago. The question still remains, what do we do about it? Your father got put into prison, not because... Uh, not because somebody from another country came with a gun and a uniform. It's because there were collectivists and people that took power in our own government and used our own government against free people. And that's the only way we, we can stop it is to reverse that process. We can't, we, can't, we can't storm the Bastille, in other words, with guns, because that's not how the Bastille is, was taken in the first place, and that's not how it's going to be defended. Uh, we've got to have the sleeping masses mentally storm the Bastille. So they're at least supporting the few of us that decide to go in and be, decide we're going to become the board of supervisors, the mayor, the governor, the judge, the sheriff, and then eventually the congressman, the senator. And it's a slow process. Nobody wants to think of that process. It's generational. I hate to say it. When I was a young guy, I used to be mad at the old guys. It's like, well, you're too big a hurry, son. You know, this is going to take a long time. I said, no, I want to do it now. You know, I was, I thought we could do it by the next election. Well, I've learned since then. No, it's, it took, it's taken five, six generations for the, for the collectivists to capture our system. And we're not going to get rid of it by next 
Wednesday or, or the next election. It's going to be generational. Fortunately, I think it can be one generation because I think a lot of the previous generations can be reconverted and deprogrammed. I've seen that happening. In fact, it's happening more and more all the time. People like, uh, like Mickey Willis. I mean, he was, I called him a recovering socialist and that's exactly what he was. Traveled around with Bernie Sanders and his a leftist from Hollywood and he saw the light. And now you couldn't ask for another, a stronger compatriot than that. These guys and gals are out there everywhere. So I think though, however, we have to look at the long view, which means at least one generation but still, that's pretty short for a revolution of this kind. But at the same time, I mean, now they're they're basically weaponizing speech against us and calling, uh, you know, hate speech. I mean, they're, they're, they might be throwing, you know, especially, you know, Biden, Harris. I mean, they might be throwing people in prison for uh, saying whatever goes against their their mantras. So at that's that right. point, you know what I'm saying? So that's why it's like a, it's a timing issue. Well, and I think well, the, 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 the frog is basically overboiled at this point. And I mean, it's it's time to like to start talk in my opinion it's start time to start talking openly about this because um we need to prepare for something that seems like it's coming down the the road in the next you know 48 years and i know yeah i know every yeah, it's always 48 years but i i think you know even you can agree that uh you know how for how long you've been an activist that things are seem a little bit different this time well they're quite a bit different uh from the revolutions of the past and uh, i think we here's another thing where we have to make a distinction between a, a revolution and a revolt uh it's a very important distinction revolutions sometimes succeed revolts always fail uh revolts are just the the i'm mad as hell i'm not going to put up with it anymore we it's the line on the sand you know we're going to revolt and there's no organization there's no funding no training no communications there's nothing and of course the established armies and the established system just lets it play itself out and crushes it a revolution has got to have organization funding leadership strategy practice discipline it's got look look at the american revolution for example the true revolution those weren't a bunch of just a farm a bunch of farmers that met the british at the concord bridge those guys were part of the established militia they represented the the legislatures of the local communities they had elected representatives they have judges they had jails they had taxes they had uh, weapons they had an armory they had a government it was an existing system and that is what resist that is a true revolution it wasn't just a bunch of people saying, I'm not going to take it anymore. And thank God for that. And so the closest thing we have to that in the United States right now would be the states. And God help us right now, because the states, most of them are, are just as bad as the federal unit. So I think we should be working very hard to, to strengthen the state autonomy and the sovereignty and the, and the constitutionalism of the states. But that's going to be a generational project, too. So, but I'm just saying that um, I agree with everything you say, except that it's time to lock and load because I don't think locking and loading is, is it's not that kind of war anymore. We lose. And I, and I don't think, I mean, who are you going to fight these days? I mean, it's not like the North versus South where there's clearly defined enemies. And, and just yesterday I was talking with one of my neighbors who I didn't even know her name. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I mentioned how I went to the Red Pill Conference and I would have been gallivanting all around and I would refuse to wear a mask. And she's like, oh, you know, isn't it, isn't it like just a pain to, you know, drive all the way across country? And yeah, it is. I mean, especially, you know, my time's valuable and to drive across country and back, you know, took time out. But, you know, I didn't, I wasn't willing to wear a mask. But the bigger thing was I was telling her, like, listen, I go into Safeway without a mask. She's like, how do you do that? 
I'm like, I just walk in. And so ultimately, I mean, I talked to Kingsley earlier today and, and I think one of the points I brought up to him is he asked, you know, you know, how much tyr more tyranny we're going to get and the amount of tyranny we're going to get is the amount of tyranny we put up with. And humans are pretty resilient creatures. And, uh, you know, I'm a multiple time Ironman triathlete and, you know, the bodies can do like incredible things. But because of that, they know that they're able to push us to these limits. And they know, in the, and it's not, and even Hillary Clinton said, this is an information war and we're losing the war. And, you know, a few years ago as Secretary of State, and, I, and that's when they had the repeal, was it like the Smith Munt Act, where now it's legal for the government to actually propagandize people. And I mean, just even like right now on Facebook, I mean, this sounds crazy, but I had the, the first usage of fake news being thrown back at the left came from my Facebook page. And right now, you know, I have, you know, basically a greater chance of dying from coronavirus than I do of someone seeing my video on Facebook. It was actually, it's 0 .00 with six zeros in front of it, a percentage of people it's even reaching. It's reaching, it reached two people out of over 30,000. And that 30,000 all came within the first two months of my page being created. And so, you know, I'm at this point, I mean, I just hit my 16 year anniversary on Facebook, probably longer than almost anybody here back in 2004. And I'm about to, uh, I think at the end of this year, I just collected all my emails yesterday, collected a bunch of text messages. I'm going to go through all my lists and I'm probably at the end of the year just going to get off of that platform because ultimately, you know, if we're giving our attention to this platform, that's, you know, we pay our attention and, and that is very valuable. And so I'm trying to go old school because of Dan, seeing Dan getting, you know, you know MailChimp taking him off, you know, and that then also inspired me to then try to get my whole list and make sure it's everything's all backed up because, you know, it's, it's you know, just don't, I mean, don't wait for orders from headquarters. Everyone needs to do something right now. And part of me actually thinks this 5D chess, part of me actually hopes Biden wins so we can just hurry up and get all this tyranny over with, you know, sooner than later and just rip the bandaid off. And I would like to see maybe Mr. Uh, Griffin's, you know, take on that. But, you know, part of me just is to say, you know, bring it, bring on the forced vaccines, bring out the gun control, bring it all out. And we'll see, you know, who's actually going to do something because I'm sick of, you know, living out here in cowboy country and seeing all these, you know, cowboys here with like sidearms wearing masks and not even manning up and all these people saying, oh yeah, when the government and the UN comes, I'm going to come and shoot them. And, and, and you know, again, if the FBI is listening to this, I'm not, I'm just saying what people would say, not actually advocating that in case they take this out of context. But, you know, guess what? If you're not willing to walk into a store without a mask, you're probably not going to be going in, and around shooting people. Let's just, you know, let's just, let's just, you know, let's just get that out there. Uh, right now, and but I wanted to uh, you know get your take on the five D chess of if Biden wins, but I almost think it serves the power structure more if Trump wins uh, because you know they were able to because it late because all the Republicans, if you criticize anything Trump does, it's oh you're just some libtard, oh you don't like the fact you you know doubled the size of the Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve, oh you're just a libtard, and oh you don't like the fact you know Trump always always knows. And I again I had my daughter, I was wearing a Trump shirt the day my daughter was born on his first day in office. And, you know, was gigantic Trump fan, but, you know, it's not about Donald Trump. It was at that time, it was about defeating Hillary. He wasn't CFR. He wasn't Goldman Sachs, you know, which for me, you know, was basically the only, you know, you know, like, okay, you know, so I've got a pretty low bar here. If you're not CFR, not Goldman Sachs, at least there's a shot here. But then he goes in there and, and, you know, everyone thinks, oh, he knows everything. And so he picks Jerome Powell, you know, complete swamp creature, Janet Yellen clone. And, uh, and at this point, I just wanted to get your take on, you know, would, a Biden presidency maybe help just rip the bandages off quicker because I don't want to be, you know, no offense. I don't want to be, you know, going on 89 years old and still being in this uh, in in this conundrum where, you know, nobody knows when this is finally going to, you know, end. And, and I just think that uh, unfortunately, it seems like it's getting worse and worse because people are willing to put up with a lot. Hey, Ed, can I say something before you say something or do you want to? No, I'd rather you would say something. 
instead of my saying something. Well, so like what really excites me and, uh, you know, I got, I got siblings that are nine and 10 years younger than me. Uh, you know, when I talk to them, they don't use Facebook. They don't use Twitter. They don't use any of the mainstream media. Uh, they get their information from a whole wide array of uh, places. They knew all about uh, like these new browsers, like Brave and everything. Uh, that generations like the younger millennials to Gen Z's, uh, those guys are extremely technically, uh, you know, savvy and they actually are, you know, that's why you hear it. I, I think I saw it on CNN that, you know, like these young people, you know, they're not getting their uh, news from, uh, you know, Facebook or any other places. So they're kind of desperate, you know, with a lot of the young people actually getting this information. And when I talk to my siblings, you know, suddenly they make the point like, oh, you, yeah, I know about that already, John. You, you don't have to tell me. I know that, you know, the uh, World Trade Centers came down and the U.S. is behind that. Uh, so that they know all these things. And also another thing, you know, I think about 45% in the United States uh, did not vote in the last election. That's a silent majority of people that probably know a lot of stuff. They just don't want, you know, the system to perpetuate. And then on the other side here in Canada, we had, you know, about uh, 60% not, you know, caring about the election at all. Um, I, I think that a lot of people are just ready for uh, the right opportunities uh, of these messages. And I think when you get a, or Ernest Hancock out there with the Lovelution and so on, uh, you get those movements, you know, fast forward because those people are ready. They're ready to follow, uh, you know, um, good ideas to get rid of the this current status quo because they don't believe in it, a lot of people. I, I agree with that. And I don't think it's wishful thinking. I think it's re reality. And I think the, the value of this COVID theater is that uh, it is so, so obvious, really, that even there are a lot of people pretending to believe. And I mean that they're pretending because it's more convenient. They don't have to argue with anybody that go along with it. But deep down and maybe not so deep, but close to the surface down, they know it's a bunch of baloney. And uh, they're just waiting for, for the, the tipping point. Um, I think that we're... I think that a lot of people out there wearing those masks, I'm going to just put a number on it. Let's say 40% of them at least, really deep in their hearts, no, it's, it's nonsense. And if they were to be in an, in an environment where the majority of people took off their masks, they would gladly take off their masks, but they're waiting so that they're not the first ones to do it. That's the value of having to reach out to, to reach the unwashed masses, as they say, or is it? that uh, the sleeping masses, because once you can show, um, you know, consensus, that's the wonderful thing. Once you can see a lot of people doing something, then it's much easier to join the crowd than to be the first one and stand out all alone. I think we're a lot closer to that point than people realize. And we just have to figure out ways to dramatize that and to make it possible. I saw in the news, we I'm putting it up on unfiltered news tonight. Maybe you've already seen it. There's a, a restaurant in, I think it's Orange County. Anyway, it's in California and it's an Italian restaurant and they have never closed and they don't require social distancing and they have a sign on the door and say masks not allowed. And the place is packed. I mean, they went in there with the video cameras and uh, the bar is loaded. Everybody's sitting at the bar drinking, uh, having a good old time. The tables are just full, jam packed. People milling around just like the good old days, you know, like Friday night. And, um, and, and and masks are not allowed. In fact, while this, the owner was being interviewed on camera, somebody walked by and he said, excuse me, sir, uh, take off your masks, please. All right, thank you, goodbye. And they, they, everybody's happy to do it. And so 
and nobody, uh, of course, they're getting some hate letters and phone calls. You know, you people are terrible. But for every one of those, the guy says, he's got 10 or 50 people congratulating him and supporting him. And they're all coming by to eat at the restaurant now. So I think that that's just maybe the first little microcosmic view of what's going on structurally across society. Once we can demonstrate that there is a significant number of us who understand that this is all pretense and that not only that, it's actually harmful. We got to play that theme because it's not just a theme. It's true. Wearing masks is harmful. And then, so if you really care about your fellow human beings, then you've got to help them understand that they need to take off the masks. Once, once we establish that, I think this will go very quickly. And that doesn't mean we win the war because they, these uh, tyrants still have, they own the guns, right? They still have the, uh, the power to call most of the police forces and, and the armies into action and, you know, come to your door, break down the door and say, you and you into the truck. I mean, it doesn't make a difference what the public thinks at that point, which is why we've got to recapture the system. It's not just a, not just a public relations thing. It's a, just combat at two levels. One, have information dominance and this other time is to recapture control of the political system. We have to do both of them. And fortunately, I think it can be done even at this late state, but it's not going to be done easily. If somebody's looking for an easy answer, how can we do this without any pain? <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. Can we do it by the next election? No, no. But can we do it? Yes. Well, then let's get started and uh, take the first step. I think you're making a really, really important point in, in regards to illusion of power. I mean, people have to step up and, and just show, even if you get in trouble. I mean, I, I go to the gym four or five times a week. Most of the time, somebody says something about wearing a mask. I'll put it up the second they walk away. I take it down. And you'll be amazed by how many people will see me put the mask down. And then little by little, they do it. Then they do it. Then they do it. You know, it's like... It's, you know, it's like you're in school, you know, it's like, well, if he's not getting in trouble, I'll do it, you know, and, um, it, but somebody needs to step up. It's like this illusion of, of same thing with like, I had people in local towns talk to me about like, hey, do you know if Halloween's canceled? I'm like, what the F are you talking about? Like, they can't tell you if you can go trick or treat with your family or not. What are they going to arrest me? They're going to arrest me and my five-year-old, my four-year-old for trick or treating. I'm like, one, it would make a, a great picture in the back of a cruiser in our costumes. Uh, but but still, I mean, it's just ridiculous, this idea that people are still asking. They're asking that. They think that they control all aspects of their lives. I mean, even if you're a for-government person, isn't it for the people, by the people? Well, who are they helping? Because I don't see anybody happy about the way things are. I don't see anybody ha happy about these regulations. I don't see anybody happy about, you know, the, the having to wear masks everywhere. It doesn't matter where you stand politically. Like, Everybody's upset about their kids having to wear masks, about schools, uh, you know, uh, having looking like juvie, right? Like prisons and you can't touch anybody and you have to be apart from one another and all this stuff. I mean, nobody is happy about the reality that we're living in. So it's not about if we're for Trump or by Trump or whatever. Like it, it's about just fighting for the right for people to have the freedom to live their lives the way they want to live their lives. And once people realize that we're on, we're all on the same team, we're all fighting for the same thing then we can get past this Biden Trump bullshit. Cause it, it really doesn't like, it just happens, you know, like I've said this a bunch of times on the show, it just happens that Trump is just 
closer to my perspective right now than you know than the other side. It doesn't mean I'm a Trump supporter. It just happens that that that's just the case. But guess what? When when Bush was in office and I was you know pushing all the anti-war stuff, the Republicans were uh, more the enemy, you know, because they're the ones uh, who seem to be pushing more of the propaganda, the war propaganda. So it, to me, like it's not that our of my perspectives have changed. It seems like the parties have changed, and and then it just you know people have to stop defending their team and just defend these principles and then you know if it happens that you are you're on the trump team for for this election year then that's okay but know that he's not the savior just like you know he's also not satan you know it's it's people people are on either side they are either saying that he's the second coming of jesus or the second coming of, uh, of satan and it's like i don't think it's that it's that cut and dry that's that's how I've been trying to like. Uh, I'm pretty good at like turning people to like a more libertarian, you know, ideals, um, and uh, and like more recently, I've been trying to communicate the fact that a lot of times people just view, like especially during the election, like everyone's just views uh, a, a lot of the election stuff as like just you know patriotism. So uh, uh, we need to support the government because of this or because of that or whatever. But like I like to, I like to say, uh, well, let's look at really what government is. It just provides a set of services, and if you, you know, really narrow that down, it, it really is terrible at providing these services. And what what type of services does it provide that the the free market can't provide better? And you know, pretty much people go to like prison or war or something like that. But at the same time, the government goes to the to the private market to to uh, substitute their services with with uh, private prisons and private militias to help them carry out those duties. And then also um, just communicating that, uh, you know, for these services that that none of us are happy with, whether it's the DMV or welfare or whatever, like no one likes to deal with the government, taxes, um, you know, what are we getting for it? And and also like, why, yeah, why are we paying for it? Like who, who would voluntarily pay to put someone in prison for a nonviolent drug crime? Who would voluntarily pay for uh, starting a war halfway across the world? you know, no one that I know is because it's all run by obviously by the military industrial complex and others. But, um, but yeah, sorry, this is a little thing of like how I've been kind of pushing my communication out there. Recently. Hey everybody. I, I, I apologize for having to bow out, but I've got to return some phone calls and so forth. I've really enjoyed participating in this. I hope you invite me back. Okay. Oh, Thank you so much. Thank you. And I just have one last point, Ricky, before you guys wrap up, because there is hope in this situation, but the hope comes from learning history so it doesn't repeat. The, in the third volume of the Gulag Archipelago, because the first two volumes, spoiler alert, it's a real downer. In the third volume, they figure out how they got enslaved and how to become free. And it has to do with a whole bunch of stuff I don't have time to explain right now. But first is they had to yeah, overcome so the much. mental slavery. The mental slavery. So Steve Biko said the most potent weapon in the hands of your oppressors is the mind of the oppressed. So as soon as we get our mind out and start learning about the situation and then couple that with the active literacy skills of communicating what we've learned to others, because to Kingsley's point, the, the picking up arms against our oppressor in our country in this day and age has been obsolete since the 1930s, you know, according to Carol Quigley and tragedy and hope and weapon systems and political stability. We can't outarm them in that way anymore. So we have to fight on the idea field. We have to make ideas that make their shitty ideas obsolete. And I'll leave it there. Yeah, you need. I to just make wanted to jump in and say something obsolete. too. Nice, nice. Um, just on the idea that you know, uh, 
we can have a strategy and, and, you know, get, get some of our own people in, in the local governments and whatnot. You know, I don't know if I, you know, I, I voted and I, I looked through my voter pamphlet and there were candidates that were saying straight up, like, we're going to open up this country that we're going to, um, you know, there's not going to be a mandatory vaccine that, you know, these things that, that I stand for, I'm voting for these people, you know, and some of these people are the same people I've been in rooms of 30 people with, um, uh, you know, against vaccine mandates. So I, I've always thought that's kind of an ace up our sleeve is I've watched these two groups come together, our community and the the vaccine medical community, freedom. the medical freedom yeah, yeah. community. Um, and, and they're very organized. Like in Oregon, we have Oregonians for medical freedom. I know every state has, has something like this. I really would encourage people to look into your own state and find out, get involved in these groups because these people are running for office and, and they're doing it on platforms and they stand for the exact same things we do. And uh, I, I've seriously watched because I came from more of that side. They're saying the exact same stuff we are. So um, I, I would just encourage people, you know, like, look, get these people elected, man. That's what we need to do, you know? Well, another thing, too, is like I opened up my voter pamphlet and noticed like our, the mayor of our city, Eugene, is running unopposed. I'm like, how the hell did that happened, dude? I could, you know, that was crazy. And then another thing, though, but getting our people into office, uh, Gordo, over in your neck of the woods, I know. Uh, we've got uh, Brian Rose, London Real, uh, running for mayor, yeah, totally. mayor of London. I mean, yeah. that's kind of big. Yeah. Like, what's your take on that? I take well, uh, it's my neck of the woods, but it's uh, a totally different country with a totally oh, of different course, government. Of course, of course, of course. I just want to get uh, my hair from you, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good, man. I, I'm I'm in Ireland. It's three o'clock in the morning, and I feel yeah. like I'm looking at. Uh, you know, a fucking drunk dude on the roof of a house at a pool party and everybody is loving what's happening and he's about to jump into the pool and I'm kind of going like, it doesn't matter to me what the fuck happens with this guy. I'm going to enjoy watching it happen if it's good or if something shit goes on. Like, I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm good, you know. Um, It's almost like I'm trying. I'm trying to battle with myself to find out about, like, where did it all change? Where did it where did it swap over? Um, I was I, I was really enjoying you guys all talking. I was getting some like great terms in my head, like cultural McCarthyism, and we're all clutching our pearls and pointing at each other and accusing each other of you know unforgivable moral sin and and these kind of things. Like it, it's it's um, I'm thinking like maybe we should go for to use the system that's already there, like. The lads like Brian Rose um, to use the system that's already there to toe the line just enough for some of us to toe the line and and maintain that mainstream contact to go and get people who are super famous like go and pull pull fucking like Sting or like you know uh, uh, Mel Gibson or somebody pull them aside and go come here. And just red pill the shit of him at a, at a party some night. And then everywhere he goes, he's just like, well, I heard from a guy at a party. And then he just starts, he's on Graham Norton or he's on fucking J Jimmy Kimmel or some shit. And he just starts coming out with some shit on live TV. And uh, he just starts red pilling everybody using their own methods. Uh, and like uh, Mr. Griffin said, it's a war of the mind. Um, people's mind is real soft and squidgy at the moment. The thing changed somewhere that the aim changed from the from the times of like uh, um the occupy movement like i could fuck with the occupy movement those guys were cool bit smelly but cool like they were like let's let's tear the shit down and now those are the same guys who are small bit arthritic from like sleeping on cold concrete a little bit hips a bit stiff 
but they're out like pegging Molotov cocktails into car dealerships in Kenosha. And you're like, what happened to you, bro? What happened, man? Like, shit didn't work out for those guys, you know? And uh, it's gone violent. There's an actual, you know, armed, there'll be an armed insurrection by the end of the week if Trump does win tomorrow, which I think he definitely, definitely will. Um, there'll be people in the streets. And I think maybe that's what the plan was to put, to put, to, to, to put, hey, Joe, go lie down for five days. Don't that's talk to anybody <laughs> and let Trump win so that we can like, like the, like the fuse on this barrel of shit that we have set up to, to, to kick off, which will enact martial law, which, will, you know, um, it's very weird to watch from this side. I'm really trying to figure out like, who should we all face in the same direction of like, who are we all like, we're all facing the same way. Who do we, who do we, we're like the care bears, you know, the care bear stare. We're those guys. And we're like, knowledge, uh, QAnon, uh, vaccines. Like, and we're like shooting each other with these, you know, uh, who, who are we pointing that at? I don't know anymore. I really don't. But I know that like, we can't just be like, we're for truth, man. And like, forget about money. It's like, dude, you, you got to make some money. In fact, like get other people in who have loads of money, like get all the money and then be able to make more stuff with all the money. There's no point in flagellating yourself and doing it like some kind of vocation. Cause then you end up like some weird dude in speaker's corner, like wearing raggy clothes and it's like smells like feces, like shouting about communism. Like it doesn't, people don't want to buy that shit. They want to buy the cool lab with the cool car and the cool watch and the cool hair. Who's talking about like, I don't know, changing the world a little bit, do you know? It's a very weird time. My brain is like a, a wet cake falling apart in pieces. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens tomorrow. And uh, England is not far behind. We're on level five lockdown, so I'm voluntarily not doing any podcasts. I'm not having anyone in the house. I didn't want to have to buy a whole lot of plexiglass. Like, where do you put that shit? I mean, surely there'll be like German sex parties are going to be replete with uh, things for women to defecate onto while men are underneath it doing stuff like that. In the next six months, it's going to be big business secondhand plexiglass or whatever, but I wasn't willing to do that here. And I feel a little bit kind of impotent because I'm like, I wear, I, I wear a mask into the supermarket because I don't want to frighten grannies. I already look like, like a, you know, a, a, a fucking Lee Syatt or something like that, or a fat Joe Rogan going in, going around like in the fruit section. And she's like, he might cough on me. You know, it's very intimidating because uh, I'm a large dude. So I like I and I and I feel, feel kind of guilty that I'm like oh shit I'm complying now when I don't really believe in this shit but I'm not doing it for me I'm doing it for other people and I think a lot of people are like that and it wouldn't take much all these older generation people who are the only ones still on Facebook are 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 all getting together and socially distanced like coffee mornings going like do you believe in it I don't believe in that shit it's all fucking bullshit it's bullshit like they all know it's bullshit they can feel it it's like there's a little little tip needed through a mainstream source to push those people over who have just been like gobbling up all of these Facebook memes. Um, I mean, some of it's a little bit racist, but look, whatever gets you over the line. And um, for now, for now, uh, we can wind that shit back. That's okay. Um, it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird over the next week or so. And uh, I wish you all well if you're in America. Uh, we're grand over here. We just, nobody's moving or going anywhere and all the shops are shut and all the restaurateurs are put out of business and 
they left it open. They left us open for seven weeks so that we could spend all the money on making covert preparations and changing all the tables and buying all the plexiglass and you know all the fucking wipes and the sauce, the, the fucking the petrol sauce, whatever that hand sauce. And uh, we spent a fortune on all of that stuff. And I went right. He's ready for this. And we're like, yeah. And it's like, okay, shut everything down. And they're like, ah. I spent the twenty grand that I had saved to pay the staff while we were on lockdown. I spent it all on plexiglass. And they're like, sorry about that. And they shut it down at the start of October till the 1st of December. They're going to open it for Christmas. So we'll all get, you know, nice uh, Christmas Corona, uh, c- contaminated presents. And then they'll shut it all down in January again. And I don't think I- I- Irish people are, uh, we're a rebellious people. You know, if there's going to be a place where we'll push back, it might be Ireland. As, as, uh, as small and ineffectual as we are on the global scale, we can fucking kick the shit out of somebody if they're annoying us. <laughs> Uh, England are, are locked down as of tomorrow, I think, until the 1st of December as well. And like David Icke is commanding the marionettes, 35,000 of them in Trafalgar Square a few weeks ago. Like they won't go quiet either, you know. Um, but yeah, I wish you all luck tomorrow in America. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what else to say. So right right now we have 50 that was awesome but we have 55% of Americans believe that tomorrow is going to be the most stressful day of their lives. I mean, is there any better proof that the entire system is broken down when it's a 61% of millennials, I mean I'm technically a millennial, I don't like to admit that, but we 61% say tomorrow is going to be the most stressful day of their life. I mean, is there any better proof that like all of this is BS and I mean we could be moved on. I mean if how many of those people have given birth? That's what I want to know. Well, too too many if uh, if it's yeah. any. So yeah, the most stressful right. day of my life, except when my perineum burst open in a, a mist of blood and feces. Like it's a it's an election. We're okay. Don't fucking lose your head. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't more stressful when they were. You know, not when they're forced to not go to work or wear a mask. Or <laughs> yeah, this yeah, bullshit. Yeah. I mean, this is yeah. more stressful. <laughs> Picking the guy that wants to lock it down even harder. Who you know said we shouldn't have shut down flights going to China and that was xenophobic and racist and everything else. But it's it's a religion. It's a religious thing at the moment. It's it's um, an ideological jihad. And like we were saying at the start of the show, I, I've been listening before I came on. I was listening while I was doing the, the washing up. And uh, there's people saying like, you know, y- y- you're chasing people around with your phone. I think, I think you were saying that, Tim. Like people don't, people, people have made up their mind. You can't convince a Christian that Jesus Christ is not his personal savior. Sorry, not for me. But for other people like they'll stab you if you don't like Jesus. You know, they'll shoot you if you say any shit about Jesus. And I think these people have made their identity part of their politics, which is a really bad move because that means that they're immovable on policy. They're immovable on uh, change, on progressing, on, on progression of thought, and that's on both sides. Both sides, okay. They both both sides are okay. Good people, both sides, and it's just they're mired in in that because they don't want to. It's so hard to change your personality, and if you've built up all your friend groups, all your people in work, maybe your job is on the line if you don't believe in it, which is the case in a lot of places because of uh, cultural McCarthyism. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're falling out with your family. People don't want to not believe it. Even though if a kernel of doubt is living in there, they won't, um, they won't let it live because like they'll have to change their whole life. And it would be what I would imagine it to be like secretly gay or a murderer or, you know, somebody who just hates your wife. You're just like, I fucking hate you. Hi, hi, hi. Yeah. 
and you're imagining different ways to kill her or whatever. Like that's what it feels like for a lot of people when they don't really believe it, but like their whole life is built around not being able to just go out for a pack of cigarettes and never come home, you know? Probably sounds like most of the Democratic congressmen too out there too. I mean, I <laughs> that's what me thinks they, they, they don't protest too much. It's very hard to protest with a cock in your mouth. <laughs> Secretly. Your, and your wife just beside you with a small handbag, just like, mm -hmm, he's, he is sorry. He, he listened to him say he's sorry. Like, it's very telling, you know. We always end these shows so well. That was the, I wasn't going to say uh, anything at all. I was just happy to nod away. No, well, I'm glad you did because it's uh, it, these shows always end on a, on a light note. And uh, not that I didn't take anything you said seriously, but it's just. Oh, uh, don't. <laughs> but uh, it, it, we are winding down. Does anybody else uh, want to, uh, you know, add anything, uh, promote anything, predictions, anything, have any uh, last thoughts or, or, or whatnot? I think we're going to have a contested election and then just yeah. one pure chaos so they could do whatever they want. Like they have their, you know, like economic reset that they're planning. Right. So everything just would work out so well for them if they actually get that little, re you know, reset. And when chaos is rampant in the street and people are like, please help us. You know, like it's a, that always happens, you know, throughout crisis. That's how Hitler got in, in the Weimar Republic when it collapsed. You know, they had a high for inflation. Everybody lost their money. Everybody was desperate. They voted for a guy that, you know, like, oh, I'm going to give you everything. You know, like, don't worry. I'm over here. You know, I'm a good guy. And then suddenly he turns around and becomes a vicious dictator. So yeah. I, I think that that's really, really, really what they want. They, they might not say it, but that's definitely what they want. They want, hopefully, like, Trump will win. And then, you know, Biden and everybody will come after him like they did in 2016 to, you know, try to disprove that he's a, a legitimate president so they could, you know, storm the White House. You know, they put up the barricades today. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I think a that, that would, a vaccine yeah. a passport, a vaccine passport, uh, Trump will win tomorrow, vaccine passport, yeah. move to cryptocurrency, abandonment of cash, and uh, yes, and, nothing yeah. will come out of that Hunter Biden laptop. Only, only Rudy, Rudy Giuliani's uh, veiled threats. <laughs> only pictures on my Discord. I've gotten too many, uh, too many pictures on my Discord. Yeah, I'm like, stop fucking sending me that shit. He's doing coke of child's arse. Nobody, no, nobody wants that on their phone. You don't want that. Yeah, as incriminating as it may be. Yeah. But yeah, we're calling it for Trump. If he's, if it's going to be Joe tomorrow by St. Patrick's Day. Kamala will be will be the president, hundred percent. No, Hillary. 100%. Hillary is my. You know, have you thought about this? That you know, suddenly everybody dies at the White House. You know, she's a she's a. Oh. You know, she said that she lent her help. To, let me know. just put like, in again, FBI. If you're listening, prank caller, prank caller. This is one of those. Yeah, like in King. Is that like that John Goodman movie, King Ralph, where everybody, the, all the all the the royal family get in for a photo shoot and they all get electrocuted, and then John Goodman is eating a burger, and they're like, "Huh, I'm the king? What?" <laughs> this will happen. No, Kamala, Kamala will be standing over Joe some night with a with a with a silk pillow, just and just laughing like she's doing in all of those rallies, just like <laughs> me murder. <laughs> like that's what's gonna happen before Patrick's Day. But uh, yeah. So th so th so thank you everybody for joining me. Uh. Uh, it's hard. I don't know how to top that. Nobody wants to talk. They're like, what am I going to say that's going to be any more entertaining than what Gordo just said? 
<laughs> Gotta leave it on a high note. Leave it on a high note. Thank you. I was Ricky. just gonna say, I was just gonna say, like, I don't know where uh, Charlie took off, but I got my uh copy of the controlled demolition of America the American Empire coming tomorrow. So I don't know about you guys, but yeah, buy buy that one. Right. Yeah. I got the, I actually got the previews. It's a really good book. It's really and cool. It's, it's at a discount, I think, for for a while. So definitely jump on that. I think I mean that's something we've talked about slightly a little bit. It's like, you know, like Gordo said, it it's you know, you fund the people you love, you know, support them, you know, and I don't, like I say on my show, not even just financially, uh, if you can spread the word, hopefully somebody who's in a better financial place can, can support them. You know, I mean, I know with the uncertainty of the future and stuff, it's hard to, to get people. And and as most of you podcasters know, I mean, 0.0001% of people actually who listen to the show actually support the show. So, you know, but go out there, support the people you love. I mean, the, that's how more content will be created and that's how people will continue doing the things that they, you know, that you like enjoying and consuming. So, um, but thanks again, guys. I really, really appreciate another great show. Uh, a bunch of different ideas and minds. I mean, sometimes when I, when I listen back to these things, I, uh, you know, there's so many things that I kind of missed. Uh, so it, it, it's fun to kind of gather all these people with different perspectives and, and opinions or whatnot. And hopefully, and I, I try to do these every other week, so hopefully in uh, two weeks we'll do another one, and we're all still alive, and it's we're not rioting or something like that. So we'll we'll see what happens now till then. But uh, I honestly, I'm everybody who's stressing out about tomorrow. I'm kind of with whoever whoever said that. I mean, I'm not stressing at all because I t- nothing's going to be accomplished. They're going to be just arguing about you know counting stuff, and and you know there's not going to be a president for a while. So it, you know not officially. So seventy nine days of hell is what they call it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but if anybody wants to say where that people can uh, connect with you, uh, your shows and and uh, your podcasts and and all that stuff, if you guys want to just uh, share with the the listeners, I guess I'll just thank you guys uh, for having me. And uh, if you want to check out uh, where I'm at now since I've been terminated from all the major platforms, essentially, um, if you go to pressfortruth.ca at the top banner, there there will be somewhere where you can see it's a press for truth band uh, banner there. And there's where I, you can find where I'm on all the other platforms, Float and um, Minds and BitChute and uh, Library. Uh, so go check it out. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a good time. I uh, hope to do this again sometime. It's great to see a lot of people I know and a lot of uh, meeting a lot of new people as well. So thanks again for having me. Take care. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, th- thanks, Dan, for coming on. And uh, I started actually off day number one of the quarantine. Uh, my wife and I decided to split the day before. So I was quarantined with her for the first 30 days. So tomorrow will not be the most stressful day compared to everybody else that's going on. But no matter what's going to happen tomorrow is more money printing at the hands of the Federal Reserve will be going on uh, no matter who wins. Uh, you can find all of our content at the libertyadvisorshow.com. John and I have, I guess he's got a, he's got a gun too. Is that where I got the idea from? But uh, we, we're starting to go live now every uh, Tuesday and Thursday mainly about like financial economic geek stuff and then uh, I do a lot of videos with, with Josh Sigerson from World Alternative Media but it's like 3am in uh, Montenegro so he had to jump off thanks for having me hey thanks Tim appreciate yeah, it just just one last like you can find everything about me at theeconomictruth.org awesome uh, I'm going to jump in very quickly if you know any people who have not been exposed to conspiracy before, and you want to give them a very light hearted introduction, send them over to conspiracysynergy.com to try and get them up to speed a little bit. Yes, definitely check out Tease's conspiracysynergy.com. And uh, my website uh, that I'm using right now for my course is getautonomy.info. 
forward slash 19 skills. It's about bringing the skills that they took away from us to subjugate us back into our culture. And my podcast has been called Peace Revolution. Um, before that, since 2006, it was 9-11 Synchronicity. So those are the two podcasts. Tra and Tragedy and Hope, right? Check out that website. It's going on a renovation, so I didn't want to like blast oh. that. But tragedyandhope.com is the place where a lot of my work's been for the past uh, 16 years. I'm at thoseconspiracyguys.com. If you're nice and wet after going through thesis stuff and you're looking for something a little bit stronger, <laughs> wider, if the, if, the, if the regular podcasts aren't even hitting the sides, thoseconspiracyguys.com, check it out. We go deep dive, long form, good chats, good, good plug, loads of dick Gordo. jokes. It's all happening. Uh, yeah, so we're uh, the True Zilla podcast. Uh, we on any of your podcast players, you know, I, I kind of a sore subject. We still have a YouTube channel, I guess, for now, maybe, but uh, we're, we're, we're looking at moving out. Tease, you guys should hook up with uh, Deborah Gets Red Pilled, the Deborah Gets Red Pilled podcast. It's the coolest podcast out there where he's slowly red pilling his mother in law. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best podcast ever. He's local in our area, too. So everybody, Deborah Gets Red Pilled, too. So that's a great idea. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And thank you, Ricky, for hosting this forum. And like I said, as a viewer, it's a powerful show. Three hours of you guys all the time with the not Hollywood squares. I love it. But uh, being part of it tonight is something special. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I really do. And Sean, you want to jump in before? Uh, before we... Yeah, I was just going to say thanks for having me, man. I've been a, a fan of the show since it started. And it's awesome to actually be a guest on it and be able to share the space with a lot of the people that I'm fans of. Uh, so my show, again, is Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. You can find me on L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Nowhere to Go But Up. Thanks, guys. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I'll keep you guys in touch for the next one. We do have a Union of Dunwanted Telegram. I'll send you guys those links. Anybody who hasn't joined yet, it, it is private, but it's everybody who's been on the show uh, at some point. Everybody is on there. We have a huge, awesome group and, uh, you know, just share links and whatnot. It, it's not overwhelming. I know some of them are just like, you know, notifications off the wall, which can be a little annoying, but this one isn't like that at all. So uh, I, and I'll connect with you guys. I'll give you guys i'll usually i'll send a big link with all the video audio links and all that stuff and you connect which is awesome because a lot after a lot of these shows i've been seeing a lot of people do each other's shows and and whatnot so i i think it's awesome that people are, are honestly connecting and uh coming from so many different backgrounds because we are all in this together so uh thanks guys i truly appreciate you guys taking three hours out of your life for, for this uh and uh and and thanks again we'll keep in touch and i'll see you guys hopefully on maybe the next one Thanks, Ricky. Right You're thanks. the best, man. Thank Good night, you. everyone. Right, thank thanks, you. Ricky. Good night. Yeah.